Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 196th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows it's no secret that Hasbro likes to make money. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some very valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Probably worth noting there that we actually turned off collection management about two weeks ago um, since we're rebuilding it. So people can't do that anymore, um, at least for the time being. Um, The old system was pretty dated. We're scrapping all that code, rebuilding it for 2020. So stay tuned for more info on that. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, this week we've got a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, plenty of cards to talk about this week. Uh, Pioneer has seen fit to keep this list active the last few weeks. Segment two, our cards to watch. James and I will run through some cards that we think have a good outlook or uh, a bad outlook, apparently. Again, including including my first sell call on here in ages. Yeah, we don't we haven't done that in a long time, but uh, one for one for one this week. Um, segment three, our metagame week in review. We've got a Pioneer PTQ and challenge to spin through. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, the secret lair that Wizards announced this week. Uh, What's in there and what does that mean for Magic Finance at large? We will kick off this week with segment one, our top movers, Oko, Thief of Crowns, uh, a card that's been involved with a lot of stuff that we've talked about, but hasn't really shown up in any of our actual lists so far. But he's on this list this week from at 34 to 44. Uh, it's not a major change. It's about 30%, but it is worth noting that he has really bounced back after, uh, you know, he ate it in standard, but persisted in pioneer and seems to have climbed back rapidly as players have recognized it just because he's no longer legal in standard. It doesn't mean that there isn't a future for the card. When I was debating with uh, Andrea Mangucci on Twitter last week about whether or not he should be buying his Okos at the low um, he ended up looking smart because the card is up 10 or 15 ticks, but I like that pick a lot better on Magic Online where you can st- you're can you always liquid um, because whatever the buy, you know, basically the price of cards on Magic Online is their buy list price, um, you know, plus or minus a ticket depending on who you're dealing with. And there's enough activity on there right now with people testing for both Standard and Pioneer Um uh, certainly Pioneer, which can't play an arena, that the demand profile for Oko allows you to go liquid whenever you want. Not so sure that that's as true in paper, where people that had Okos may not have been able to unload them, and therefore didn't need to didn't sell them and then need to buy them back. And I don't think anybody's buying them for Pioneer right now thinking they're super safe. 
Um, I mean, maybe the card doesn't catch a ban. Maybe it does. It's just we don't have a clear picture yet. Um, you know, maybe it dodges for three to six months and then gets banned. You know, Wizards takes a breather on it and only reacts when it really starts to dominate the meta. Maybe it never does. It's just huge question marks. Not the kind of card I, I would like to be going deep on right now. No, I would can't fathom buying this to spec on. Um, I think if you're paying $40, $45 for your own playset, uh, it's it's mostly looking safer in Pioneer right now. It, it actually is only like the eighth or ninth most played card in the format at the moment, um, which I think is lower than most people might have expected it to be. So it's not lighting Pioneer on fire, even though it is clearly one of the best cards there. Uh, and I do think Withers is going to be loath to ban it after they already ban it in Standard. However, they do have an aggressive banning policy in Pioneer to try to manicure the format and make sure it takes off. So nothing's going to be safe if it deserves it. The, sure. The, the interesting thing here is if we knew for a fact that, that Oko was safe in at least Pioneer, Modern, and EDH, and it's almost certainly safe in EDH, um, and probably in Modern, then this is a future 60 to $80 card for sure. Because it's not going to stop being great in Pioneer. It's a modern playable card. So even as Pioneer spends a couple years expanding into a power level that is closer to modern. Um, and more brokenness emerges. Which I suspect we're getting more of in the next few sets anyway. Um, Oko is still going to be great. So if it manages to be great without being busted. Then this is a buy. Even at this price. Um, but I'm not touching it. I'm not selling any of the copies I have. I have some extended arts and foil extended arts and maybe even some Japanese foil extended arts. I'm not 100% sure because I don't think I have them in my possession yet. Um, but it's very risky. This card's very risky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. It'll be uh, it'll be wild if it turns out Oko is one of like four cards that we get in 2020. Like, oh, yeah, we had Oko, who was just ruining, you know, kind of blew up Standard and Pioneer, and then we got three more Okos in the next three sets. Which I think is so likely. We already know that Core 2021 in the summer is about Teferi, so I'm expecting a four-mana Teferi there. Well, yeah, I mean, the Chandra set had three Chandras in one set, didn't it? Yeah. Like, the core set, so do we just get three Teferis? Like, we go from zero Teferis for something like 14 years, and then we get seven Teferis in a year and a half. And I'm willing to bet that that set is pretty close to put to bed, if not already put to bed. Um, because core sets are... They probably reserve some, like, slots for a little later in the process in case they feel like they need to correct course for standard by adding some sideboard-type stuff. Um but a lot of the like the core elements have probably long since been settled. Yeah, yeah, there's no way they have much wiggle room left in there. So next on the list we got Selfless Spirit out of Eldritch Moon, non-foils going from four to five twenty-five. Not the kind of movement you can make money on, but one of the rares in Pioneer worth keeping an eye on, because it suggests that maybe not this week or the next week, but a few months out, three, six, maybe nine, with no reprint. And there's no obvious reprint avenue available, given what we know about the product suite so far. Um, although we can talk a little bit later about how Secret Layer may change some of that math. Um, Selfless Spirit could easily be a $10 plus card. 
if it keeps being seeing heavy play in the blue-white tempo pioneer deck. Um, this is the deck that's using like brazen borrowers and selfless spirits and uh, reflector mage and what's the one that exiles cards when they're cast? That's one white blue spell color. Thank you. Um, all that stuff and Teferi's I'm sure are in there as well. Yeah, that deck is pretty cool. And selfless spirit has been popping up since it was printed. Basically, it's not a new feature to modern or pioneer. Um, and it's it seems well positioned for any sort of blue white flyer or tempo deck in Pioneer, and also any spirit tribal deck that does well. So I like the overall outlook for the card. My my problem is that we're talking about a non foil from a rel- an old enough set that I could definitely see this getting reprinted virtually anywhere. It does have a non Innistrad name, so that's true. Um, it could show up in a core set or something, but <laughs> I wouldn't see it as being high on their agenda for a reprint. So it, it's got a pretty low overall chance. It, the, the the other thing about its utility in Pioneer is that it's largely about the indestructible clause that it grants because there's no good white exile card yet in the format. So you're dealing with Fatal Push and Supreme Verdict and Burn Spells, all of which match up very poorly against Selfless Spirit. Oh, yeah, the indestructible part is definitely very relevant. And I would think anyone playing that card essentially has that clause in mind. You know, that's why they're putting it into their sleeves in the first place. Uh, I, you know, I don't think that Wizards has it in their plan to reprint Selfless Spirit. They're not like, oh, yeah, we need to get this reprinted. But it's very much to me a a card that can f- maybe like fill a lot of slots like, it's not so much they're looking to reprint it, but it's easy to be reprinted if they're doing another product type of thing. Just, I don't know, I have an intuition that it's a type of card that just kind of shows up when you're not expecting it. But it would be Cor- in a non-foil product, almost definitely. Well, Cor- well, maybe not. Maybe, yeah, it could show up in a commander deck. The um, It's at about the right price point. The core set in the summer is also an option. Um, spirits don't seem right for Theros or uh, Ikoria. Um, and not really in Zendikar either. So most of the major sets of the it's, year seem like bad homes. Yeah, it's not like a standard set that would I think it would catch it. It would be like, you know, a dual deck or any of those sort of like ancillary products that always have a couple odds and ends reprints type of thing. Like, you know, you scroll through EDH rack and you look at the set symbols on the cards and, you know, you can kind of see what I'm thinking about. All right, so next on the list, we got Is It Charm. Um, pretty much all the copies have been on the move. Um, these are really good buy list targets. If you opened a bunch of, like, Modern Masters 2017 or Ravnica product along the way in the last 10 years, you might have, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 Is It Charm sitting around, and you can buy list them for a couple bucks a piece now. Um, this is the Guild Kit version going from 350 to 5 um, on the back of Phoenix, Dex, and Pioneer. And I could see, like, first of all, we just came out of a Ravnica block. So you're not going to get any more shots at Is a Charm anytime soon. There's not, there isn't a master style product announced where Is a Charm makes a lot of sense. It could show up in a commander deck, ostensibly, um, as an uncommon that makes sense in doing Izzity things, um, which the commander Izzet uh, decks tend to lean into. Like spells matters is pretty much the theme for EDH for that color color set. Um, so. I wouldn't hold on to them for a super long time, but I think you've got like a month or two here to decide 
which buy list to add them to and be in pretty good shape. Oh, I would think you're good for at least a couple of months. I, I, it would be surprising if they came out before that, right? I mean, a few months is, we're talking about February, right? That's not too long. I think you've probably got about six, my guess would be like six-ish months, maybe even a year. But I don't know if I want to sit on them too much longer. This is the type of card that you can get greedy. Like if you try and get greedy and you sit on it and you wait, you just get blown out because it shows up as an uncommon in some random product. And you're like, oh, well, this went from $6 buy list to a quarter. Uh, But then you've got your other uncommons that just sit there and sit there and sit there. And then you're like, wow, my, I don't know, scrying sheets or whatever it was is worth like $15. Uh, boy, I wish I had a pile of these. And it's like, well, yeah, but you probably wouldn't have <laughs> held on to them this long anyway. So he was still holding scrying cheese at this point. So th- this is a, I feel like you're playing chicken on this one, but I think you can wait at least until February and then maybe just, just shoot them off and be happy with where you landed. I mean, I'm going to go scoop whatever. I'm sure I have 20 or 25 of these around the house somewhere. I'll scoop them, throw them into my next buy list. I, I see no reason to wait. The buy list price is quite attractive for an uncommon. Um, Moving right along here, we got Glory Bringer out of Amonkhet. This is a card that uh, pro traders were talking about in our Discord over the last couple of weeks that getting in like $1.50, $2 started showing up in mid-rangey decks in Pioneer. Um, I'm unconvinced that this is a long-term Pioneer card because I think it's the kind of just, it was like high power level for standard, makes it into Pioneer for now as Pioneer gets better and better. And I expect it to accelerate a little faster than modern because They've already asserted that they've the sets this year were pushed and that the sets next year are also probably pushed, um, meaning that m- more cards per set are going to be relevant in Pioneer than we were used to seeing standard sets contribute to Modern. Um, and I think that's going to start to push out um, you know, four and five casting cost stuff along the way. And also, there just tends to be a glut of options. So if it doesn't pr- provide particular synergy, it probably gets pushed know off the podium even if it's doing okay right now so i i very much like exiting on glory bringers whenever you get the chance oh yeah i'm definitely in the same boat here i think glory bringer is a fine slot filler today uh but thundermaw hellkite is also a very powerful dragon that attacks people very well um and showed up in modern a couple times these types of cards show up every couple you know every set or two we get these type of dragon and the particular keywords on any one can suddenly be relevant in pioneer where others aren't uh so this is kind of in that subset of cards where there's not a lot of options for this slot at the moment so this is doing the work in the short term but it will probably get replaced in pioneer over the next year or two um also, I'm not convinced that this is a format that really wants five mana dragons anyways. Uh, I think it's going to end up being a little quicker than that would be my guess. Yeah, entirely possible, especially as time goes on. Next on our list. Uh, after Glorybringer's Blister Coil Weird foils out of Ravnica $5 to seven fifty or so for a nice little boost. This is on the back of a fun little Grawl Blitz deck here out of Pioneer. We have, uh, it's got two of the Blister Coil Weirds as well as some Dreadhorde Arcanists, um, and then your Monastery Soul Scar Prowess package, um, and then a bunch of spells here that kind of, you know, play to the Prowess and Blister Coils, essentially Prowess mechanic. Uh, Blister Coil is only a two of in the deck, but it's his first emergence into 
pioneer for the most part and kind of a reminder that he does have essentially prowess um and can also be played as a combo piece although as i'm flipping through this list i don't believe that's a relevant part because he untaps when you cast a spell but i think uh return the ravnica is pretty old at this point you know all things considered it's the earliest set in pioneer um so somebody must have gone through and picked up some cheap foils for themselves and has bumped the price up a little bit so uh, you know, I, I, I'd be inclined to take my profit here because Blister Coil Weird is a cool card, but I feel like you're probably always going to play Monastery Swiftier and Soul Scar over it. So it seems like it's probably your the ninth copy you put in a deck, and I'm never wild about that. Yeah, and this deck, like this was Caleb Durward that was um, featuring this on stream the other day, but by no means has this deck established itself in the format as you know a dominant force so <laughs> it's very much a question mark i also don't think blister coil weird's the kind of card that many people have foils sitting around i think i actually did spot one in my pioneer pile the other day but again that's just the kind of thing you throw into the buy list take the two or three dollars they're offering and roll on forward yeah the problem here is that like who's gonna buy this card I mean, the, this deck would have to be in absurdly good to really get a lot of people interested in playing Blister Coil Weird, but it's not the type of deck that generally gains that much attention anyways. Yeah, I, I don't really like any of the the features here on this card. Yeah. So for, for foils in Tier 2 and 3 decks, you need to see some maturity in the format where the decks have been viable, at least at an LGS level, for long enough that people start thinking about foiling them out. You know, people mm -hmm. are less are, are less worried about grabbing like whatever foil um shivan reef or whatever because feet or arc light phoenix because that card's not going anywhere it's also still good and potentially good and modern at some point in the future and you know shivan reef is a must-have in the deck until we get some better blue red lands but yeah some it, of this other this other like this is the only deck that plays it stuff and they only play it as a two of tough to convince yourself to foil that out yeah, and you know, if it's like a fifty cents or a dollar, if it's really cheap, then I can kind of give it a yeah, I can kind of give it a pass because if I'm gonna go buy a place out of blister coil weirds and it's three dollars after shipping for non foils or seven dollars with shipping after four foils, I'm just gonna buy the foil ones because why not? Um, but if you're talking about like, I mean, blister coil weird non foils, I'm guessing are thirty cents. So if you're talking about a dollar for a set versus $20 or $25 and people are not buying those foils for the most part. Now, one of the things that could get interesting down the road is that if most of your deck is new cards and the foils are cheap because they're using the new 50% plus foil drop rate, which has cratered the price for many foils, <coughs> then you could foil a deck so cheaply, basically at pretty close to the cost of non-foil, then you might just have a couple of old foils from older sets that end up being your um you know your bridge point to finishing the deck in which case those foils might just dry up but again it depends on that deck being a consistent presence yeah that is interesting but i yeah it would have to both be a a, a kind of a mainstay in the format and also be a deck that plays primarily new cards which is an additional difficulty so uh, next on the list, we got Corvold, Fake Cursed King. Called it last week to go 12 to 20. It pretty much went 12 to 19. The Everything was set up for that to happen. Deck is really good in, in standard right now. Um, the non-foils were only available in the collector boosters. 
those are drying up despite a uh, recent wave released uh, through distributors from what I've heard. <laughs> Still unclear whether that's a, re- a reprint, which I think is unlikely. I'd give that a 30% chance. Or just the tail end of the inventory being released to the market, given that we are only about a month away from people pre-ordering their um, Theros collector booster boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's... I, I He continues to be the most popular commander, uh, and it's going to be another few months before that changes. Um, you know that he he's only increased his lead every single week rather than lost it. And we don't have an influx of new commanders until Theros, right? Which would be sometime in January um, or February. That, I don't remember exactly. That's a good point, actually. The, it's interesting to note that the commander community does not seem to spontaneously pivot to older forgotten commanders. You need... The hype cycle is what drives all of that. And that's the top-down hype cycle through Wizards. So even if you're talking about Command Zone and their effect on the EDH community, Command Zone is basically a propaganda machine for Wizards of the Coast at this point. You know, I love those guys, but they are integrated into the marketing team for all intents and purposes. And so the story that Wizards wants to push is the same one that Command Zone is pushing. And that's true of most of the major YouTube content providers. So... It's pretty rare at this point that, you know, unless Seth decides to run some kind of like wacky brew on his stream for the week and he happens to be playing commander, which he almost never does. It's pretty rare that you see even a minor minor spike in a in a unique direction. And so, as you said, until Theros commanders show up, there's nothing really on the radar that's going to knock Corvold off the EDH perch. Yeah, and if you keep an eye on EDH Rex like most commanders per month and you trust it, which is a different conversation, but we'll assume that you do, um, you know, those older commanders do hold their position, sort of, but not nearly at the rate. Like right now, over the past month, you're looking at 320 Corvolds. And then let's see, Muldratha is at 180. So people are still building Muldratha, but it's almost at half as often as they are Corvold. Um, Yarex around there. Like if I go, I can go back to Cass. Cass is on the older side now, but that's 160. That actually is half as much Atraxa. So like those older, the really, really, really popular old commanders do still get built a little bit, but they have to be very high up the, the chain in order to be putting up, you know, good numbers for the most part. Uh, next on the list, we've got Winding Constrictor, foils out of Ether Revolt, going from four to seven or so. Um, green, black, scale, hardened scales, and Pioneer um, looks like one of the more likely decks to dodge any relevant bans, probably up there with Phoenix. Um, I would expect the next round to potentially include things like Oko, Once Upon a Time, maybe Smuggler's Copters in Jeopardy. You know, Nexus of Fate is probably in the conversation. Field of the Dead is way on up there. Um, but Phoenix and, and Scales seem to be strong without being having any reason to assume that they are busted. And uh, as a result, we're seeing the Winding Constrictor foils finally show some movement. I've got some Russian foils of those I would love to unload at some point. Yeah, oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, these were my pick uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when or if it was here or my article, but um, Hardened Scales is is pretty sharp looking. I don't, you know, looking at the PTQ and challenge lists that we have uh, coming up a little later in segment three, 
I don't think those are a problem yet. Um, hardened skills doesn't seem quite that popular or quite that dominant, I should say, but it is definitely higher on the list than some of our other options. It's just at the moment, Black Aggro and Field of the Dead are kind of crowding out essentially all of the other options. Um, so it's hard to tell what is possibly too good in Pioneer other than those cards. You called Winding Constrictor Foils episode 193, which was November 5th, $2 to $8. So looking in good shape there. Yeah. Bingo. I did it. Um, after that is Siobhan Reef, uh, the Apocalypse copies, non-foils, 6 to 14 for a nice pickup. Sh- Sh- um, Siobhan Reef. Travis. Travis. Siobhan Shivin. or Shivan? <laughs> Shivan, Siobhan. Depends on uh, what Siobhan. part of the states you're from. It's very, that's a very bougie... Shivin part of the reef uh it's getting played in pioneer uh you know is it obviously a very popular deck siobhan 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 reef uh whatever siobhan reef from apocalypse (laughs) non-foils yeah so i've got some japanese whales i picked up from harayuya from in 2015 that i probably probably paid 12 or 13 dollars for that have just rotted in a binder. I think I've got 12 of them. So I would certainly love an opportunity to unload those play sets at some point in the next six months before they give us some great new duels that I'm scared are coming in Zendikar that may displace some of the bat- the worst lands in the format for Pioneer. You know, those pain uh, lands have stuck around for a long time. Yep, and, they, and they've, they've suddenly become relevant a couple of different times. Yeah, I and I guess my thought is it it seems like they wouldn't maintain uh utility in the way that they have, but they have. Um and I think, you know, I remember the last big spike was because they are a dual land that makes two colors of mana and comes into play untapped and also makes wastes mana, I recall. Yeah, for uh, but I guess my thought yeah, yeah, yeah. My thought is despite them being a little older um i'm not terribly worried that they're going to get replaced in pioneer because i think that ultimately they're too useful they 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 have enough corner cases where they're useful and wizards is probably not going to print too many cards that are just straight better than those um so i guess my point is i'm not really that worried about the pain lands getting replaced in pioneer although we could see them go from four ofs to one and twos of which I guess sure. is still not great. I mean, it's anybody's guess what lands we're getting in the next year for Pioneer, but I would expect at least one or two relevant cycles to pop up um, on the radar. The thing is that they've kind of admitted that this, the next handful of sets were not designed with Pioneer in mind. That doesn't really start till late 2020 or 2021. So it's not even clear that Zendikar was designed with with that in mind. Um so maybe I'm wrong, but I, I was theorizing on Twitter today. Sam Black made a comment and I, I responded with something like I could, you know, it's on my radar for Pioneer that they might print a fetch replacement that simply sacks to create a dual land token with some downside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that idea getting floated a couple times. I don't remember if he started it or what, but I, I do like the... Uh... The idea there of of treating the fetch lands a little differently. Uh, I just re- this conversation is reminding me of uh, when Pi- Tiny Leaders came out 
Um, Tiny Leaders came out, burned, burned brightly for a couple months and then died out. And then like six months later, suddenly every magic set had three mana legendary creatures in it because Tiny Leaders had died out. Like Wizards tried to get on the Tiny Leaders train, but by the time they got the cards out the door, the format had died. So it'll be, that was kind of funny. I don't think Pioneer is going to die. So we're not going to get a slew of Pioneer cards after everyone has moved away from the format. But uh, I suppose it could happen. I mean, definitely not. Everything suggests that if anything's dying, it's modern and faster than people might expect. The Mm -hmm. CFB put out news, like an update today to the tournament schedule for the rest of the year, and it basically replaced a bunch of other stuff, including a bunch of modern stuff, with um, major side events, PTQs actually, that were Pioneer-focused. So basically, every weekend, they were doing multiple PTQs, and every weekend at least one of them was Pioneer. Whereas some of the slots for other formats were not present. Or had been knocked out of position by Pioneer. So the short version is more Pioneer, less modern. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, yeah, Pioneer is catching real fast. And we may end up finding ourselves going back to casts that we had recorded right after Pioneer's announcement. And, you know, I remember we were like, well, Modern's not going to die right away, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, in this, it has not taken long for me to kind of feel like we were probably a little too cautious about that i think pioneer is moving fast modern and pioneer are going to switch places faster than either of us expected at the outset if the modern gps have scandalously low attendance in the first half of 2020 versus the pioneer events expect a reshuffling for the second half of the year and that would be the true death knell like if they go from if they go from like i think there's only i want to say there's three gps next year that are modern designated it's either three or it was either pioneers five and moderns four or pioneers four and modern was three and i can't remember like how that broke down first half the year versus second but i would definitely be keeping my eye on all of that because cfb is in it in it to win it they want they don't care which format as long as people show up and spend money so if pioneer is the game then that's the game now, they might have modern modern inventory <laughs> that they would like a chance to get out of. Um, so there's certainly that factor for them to consider. And certainly other vendors are in the same position. So they do have some vested interest in dragging things out for at least a year, year and a half. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Do we know the GP schedule for the second half of the year at this point? Usually I, I that wanna, comes later, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to say no. I, I, I want to say that... Maybe the, the numbers I was quoting were only for the first half of the year. That would make sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to go double back, double back on that schedule, get it in front of me, and then we'll, we can talk about it next week. Um, next on the list, we've got Noxious Grasp foils out of the Corset 2020 going from 8 to $20. This is uh, likely most on the back of um, it being a four of in the sideboard of Mono Black aggro in pioneer um and the the level of greens dominance in the format requiring grasp to be present to answer things like oko and questing beast and um so forth this is the first of two cards on this list that are incredibly expensive for standard set uncommon foils in the era of a plus 50 percent 
um, foil drop rate and really puts to mind the power of Somerset <laughs> uh, not selling well. Because the sell call I'm going to make this week is also related to being present in a core set and being a very powerful card. It, it does seem like there's a confluence of factors here. Uh, no question there. But $20 M20 Uncommon Foils, pretty nuts. I do think that if we see green recede which uh, to be fair it looks like it has receded now um ioko is still very popular but field of the dead isn't like a strictly green deck um especially not with a lot of green permanence nykthos has faded away a little bit uh, mono black is very popular i can see noxious grasp coming down real hard so oh, by the way sell your foil noxious grasps because that is not a train that i think you're getting any more mileage out of well, I mean, the demand for them is high enough overall that, yeah, it's going to have trouble getting from 20 to 30. And selling is certainly the best option if you happen to be holding. The reality is that most people that are holding are probably just holding their personal playset because it's not the kind of thing that people, we would normally, we don't really generally recommend specking on sideboard cards most of the time anyway. And I know that I did pick up some of these when it went from like three to six. I think pretty sure I picked some up in Europe at three overnight that night, maybe five or six copies or something, just as like throw-ins as part of bigger orders. And that's going to turn out real sweet. That's going to be like a plus 60 or $80 event <laughs> on mm-hmm. the back of almost nothing. My concern with holding Notch's grasps is we don't recommend sideboard cards typically for good reason because you don't see this type of price movement and they, they typically aren't played enough to warrant it. This is obviously an exception to that, but it's only an exception to that so long as people really desperately need the card. And I think the winds are changing on that one. I don't think that there's as much demand for it uh, now as there. I think now is probably the absolute peak demand for this card. And the price will fall if people don't need it as badly. It's not going to be a $3 foil again, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Noxious Grass back down to 12 or even lower. That's possible. M20 rotates soon, right? No, no. Next fall. It does not. Next Next fall. fall. We just passed that. But that's irrelevant because this is a Pioneer card we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I figured it was still seeing some play in standard. Yeah, I mean, the price here is predicated on any deck that's running black running this in its sideboard um, against the plethora of good green things. I don't agree that that we're at the apex of needing it in the format. In fact, I think that you're going to see it be just a persistent presence. It's there aren't that many good sideboard cards in the format. Like this is, I kind of see this and Ethergust, which is at the top of our list this week, as the red elemental and blue elemental blast of Pioneer. Um, they do the kind of work you need to be doing in the spot where you want to pull those out of the sideboard. Well, you know, I'm not going to profess to be a format expert. I think that this is a very narrow, a, a pretty narrow card, right? Destroy a green creature or planeswalker, this creature or planeswalker that's green or white. I mean, that's solid, but there are, it's, I mean, if you look at Pioneer right now, I mean, all right, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but where, oh, hold on, I closed that link. Let me go find it. If I look at this PTQ, 
All right, so first place, black aggro. Second place, second place is a green deck. You've got targets there. I mean, you've got all sorts of green creatures in there, so that's a good one. Well, Third I mean, place, black aggro. Fourth place is a combo deck. Fifth place, black aggro. Sixth place, black aggro. Seventh place, aggro. Eighth deck. So you've got two out of the top eight right now that are decks you'd bring Noxious Grasp in. Eh, that's a solid sideboard card. It's not a, It's not like a format staple. Okay, so let's look at this from a different perspective, though. Let's let's look at the top cards overall in the format and see how many of them it hits if we're looking at Pioneer, right? So if we're looking at format staples for Pioneer according to the latest stats on Goldfish, then the most important card that it hits is Oko. That, mm-hmm. That's what it's mostly there as an answer for. But it also deals with Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystic if you're trying to slow, slow their roll. Ditto Gilded Goose. So... Against green decks, you tend to have a... T- it never gets stuck in your hand. You tend to have a target no matter what between those things. That's not your intended target, but if push comes to shove, you'll kill it um, if they seem to be stumbling. Scavenging Ooze, you can target with it. Um, it also targets Teferi Time Raveler because it's a white planeswalker. Um, it deals with Elvish Rejuvenator, which is kind of irrelevant because it does its work on the way in. But it hits Lovestruck Beast and Questing Beast and Tireless Tracker. Um all of which are super relevant in the format. And then further down the list, you've got things like Vivian Arcbow Ranger and Voracious Hydra, Burning Tree Emissary. I mean, honestly, it's probably targets 40% of the top 50 cards in the format. That's pretty strong. I guess my thought isn't that it's not good now. It's that this is as good as it's going to get. I think that's my ultimate. Well, I mean, sure. If, consideration. If, if, if good as you're going to get is four of in the top deck in the format, then yes, I fully agree. I also agree that getting from 20 to 30 is going to be a lot harder than 10 to 20, and that your prediction of it dropping into the 12 to 15 range or even lower could happen just through normal rebound mechanics. You know, when a card gets up over, up over a certain price, people start to notice they actually do have a single copy in their binder and start dumping them to buy lists. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to get out of bed for $2 and go down to your LGS. But if you've got a foil Ethergust and a foil Noxious Grass from some drafts you did in the summer and that's a, somebody's going to hand you 25 bucks for those two, then, yeah, you might make a little trip. That Yeah, that which is also a, another point that I think, you know, we've addressed but doesn't we don't always get into is that if the card isn't expensive enough, people don't bother to go through the work of selling it. But when you've got a $20 uncommon like okay this is (laughs) this i will make the effort to deal with i mean i have a box of bulk rares and there's that is full of cards that are like two three four dollars that i don't bother to fish out because i don't want to be bothered listing them and inventorying them and selling them either they'll go up and then it will be worth my time uh or not but either way i'm not pulling them out for three bucks i think the biggest takeaway here is that in the era of 50, plus 50% drop rate on foils, most foils have cratered, but top staples still outpace that additional inventory. That's the lesson we're learning. And Somerset has does even better, but we've also seen that with a bunch of commons and uncommons from Eldraine, um, partially because of the weird um, rarity shift that exists in Eldraine regular booster packs given that they had to take a bunch of the common foils and dump them in the uh, collector booster packs, which basically means that common and uncommon foils are about the same rarity Mm -hmm. in regular packs. 
mm-hmm. which is a fairly strange situation to be in. Yeah, that is uh, the way that plays out. Well, one of many situations where wizards prints a rarity on the card, which is not true. I mean, we've seen yeah. that in commander in commander decks for years. It's also true in the mystery boosters because everything in that set is a mythic, but they went ahead and just used the original rarity symbols anyway. Yeah. Also, isn't that the case with the uh, yeah the secret layer that uses the the swish set symbol, which is sort of not actually a rarity. Yeah. Um, also worth noting that Noxious Grasp foils are only good for about 364 credit on CK's buy list. So Yeesh. they're obviously not feeling that bullish. No, no, that's uh, that's a <laughs> that's a big gap. All right, so let's uh, wrap up these top movers. Ray's Dead 7th edition foils. Every once in a while, one of these goes off because they're just running out. 350 to 15, 300% plus gains. Um, if you've been hoarding 7th edition foils for like a decade... You're probably sitting pretty, um, and I just continue to ignore them and sell them whenever they, I come across them. I'm not interested in playing that particular game. Bloodsoaked Champion Foils out of KTK. This is a four of in the best deck in Pioneer. Um, who knows how long that will remain the case, so I would be certainly happy to sell them now that they've supposedly gone from $2 to $9. Pretty sure I found a Korean foil that I put up for sale. Hopefully, hopefully that one sells. Um, that's a 350% gain, if you believe it. And then Aethergust, the aforementioned uh, foil out of the core set from the summer, $4 to $20 for a 400% gain. Um, it answers the half of the things that Noxious Grasp doesn't. <laughs> White cards suck, so that's kind of irrelevant. So the two sideboard cards that deal with green, red, and, uh, and uh, sorry, blue, red, green, and white, green um, take care of pretty much everything. At least most of the permanents. Yeah. I mean, and the ones that are blue, for the most part, sometimes are also white, like Teferi. So Noxious Grasp handles some blue cards anyway. What's the black one in this cycle? The black I don't, the black card? That's Noxious The black card. hate card. Oh, wait. Okay, so what's the one that... Oh, it was Veil of Summer. Yeah. Veil of Summer was <laughs> the got, one that hated got, on blue Which was black. also really great. I mean, the, the three of them are just pushed sideboard cards, period. Well, there should be one that hates on black, red, right? Oh, that's got to be white, a white card. And then nobody's really playing white as much. So that's why we're not talking about it. Okay. Okay. Hi, I've played Magic before. All right. <laughs> Segment two, uh, our uh, cards to watch here. You have a card that I've actually been checking up on recently, trying to decide what to do about it. Uh, so what's your what's your reasoning here? What card, what's your reasoning? This is interesting because people tried to make some money on this when it was a big deal in standard and started showing up in modern a few years back and some people got their exit and some people got stuck holding so this is their second go if they've been holding the whole time chandra torch of defiance is one of the top 30 cards in pioneer it's also in five percent of all the red decks in edh if you believe edh rec stats um supply is dwindling on the foils in particular and there's no easy avenue for reprint i can't see any place where you're going to see a foil Chandra this year. Um, I don't think it's the kind of thing they're going to slide into Commander Legends because apparently that set has whatever it was, 70 plus new legends. So I don't think legendary permanent, pre-existing legendary permanents are going to see are are going to have many slots available in that set. And they're not going to print a foil Chandra in a Commander deck. That's not happening because it's already $30. 
and we don't know of another product where it could show up. It's not getting reprinted into standard. Uh, that's just not going to happen. So I put this confidence level like 7.5 to 8 kind of thing. Like it's if this was 20, I'd be very gung-ho about it to go 20 to 40. 30 to 45 is like normally something I would steer clear of just because it can easily get stalled out in the mid-30s. And I think that's like your primary point of conflict here. It could also easily fall out of the format. Mid-rangey red de- decks that are like red, white, or red, black never really seem to post up in tier one in any format. They always seem like they're just a step behind. They don't have enough like uh, mechanic-specific synergy a lot of the time to get the job done. They they just not they don't abuse the format enough. They tend to just play too fair. Um, and Chandra is an extremely good fair card, but the reality is that the foils are draining. Like there's very few listings left on TCG. There's no easy point of resupply. One of the issues at hand is that Kaladesh booster boxes, because they include the best masterpieces, the inventions, um, are like 150 to 160 dollars plus. So you can't go fishing for Chandra's easily, um, and your chance of pulling one would be extremely low anyway. So. You know, there was a SDCC version, I want to say, of this card, if I'm not mistaken. There are, in fact, two SDC promos. Yeah. It was in both the 2017 and 2018 promo boxes. Right. And so looking those over, you've got the... Actually, no. No, it wasn't. You sure? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. In... I'm looking over the price of the 2018 one. It's just TCG's got them split up oddly. Um, the 2018 one is the really gorgeous Therese Nielsen art. But of course, there is a whole segment of the community, including probably Travis, that avoids buying Therese Nielsen uh, labeled products. So that certainly is worth considering. Um, and there's only 14 listings for those, and they start at $130. Mm-hmm. So not really a relevant factor here. Yeah, uh, re- the the Chandra here is was so I went looking at this. Um, yeah, I think it was just last week. I was th- wondering if I should pick it for the cast, and what I encountered was the Kaladesh foils look awesome. You've got sixteen results. Um, supply hot. is not. T- I'm sorry, si- sixteen vendors uh, yep. for the pack foils. Um, you know, CFB's got. Uh, uh, nine of them but other than that it's not too deep it ramps from 30 to 45 really quickly uh really if this was just the kaladesh printing i'd be all over it then you add in the pre-release copy as an additional foil uh but that supply is not deep again it starts at like 32 but there's only eight vendors so that you know hits 40 after a playset so that gets you know that's gone quickly then you've got both the Comic-Con promos. Now, one of those is $140, so like, I'm not really con- thinking of that as being a competitor. And the, that's the 2018 version. The 2017, the supply is on the deeper side. Looks like the, the market price is showing 70 but the lows are 50 55 So I see the price on that falling for the, for the 2017 copy. Uh, and I don't know where that's going to end. That's got 22 vendors behind it with with a little bit of supply there. Of course, there's only, you know, again, they start at 50, um, which is kind of what you're talking about jumping up to. 
if there was only the Kaladesh one, I'd be in, I'd, I would have already picked this last week. The three additional foil copies, like, kind of gave me pause, but honestly, it's been at least a week since I've looked at it, and I wonder what the supply, I don't remember what the supply looked like last week. It's possible there were more on the market, which is what, why I stepped back, and now that I'm looking at it again, I'm going, no, these numbers are, are actually are pretty solid, because maybe they have been selling the copies in the last week. Um, but regardless, you know, whether you're looking at pack foils or pre-release foils, supply is real low. These promos, the supply is a little higher, but the prices are much higher. Um, and this card is doing really well on Pioneer right now. And this card is also pretty legit on top of that. Um, you know, this is back from Kaladesh and it still shows up in modern some three years later, four years later, uh, and is unlikely to get replaced as a like power th- red planeswalker, I would Port say, up. yeah, it, unlikely to get I replaced. Mean, Not to say that it won't. <laughs> it, it was clearly designed to be the red mirror image of Jace the Mind Sculptor. the The number of abilities and how pushed it was—that's what they were going for. And mm. it's a very strong card. I. It's entirely possible that Pioneer will again outpace it over time. But I see no avenue for reprint this year. So I don't think it's like a quick flip that you automatically get out of in a week or two. But I think that the the market is just going to naturally drain these foils out. And three to six months later, you just pull it back out of the closet. I wouldn't want to be super deep on it, like a playset at most. And you're looking to, you know, your easiest bet might be to trade out of it locally at, at the point where it has hit its apex. Um buy list may never catch up so i don't think it's a buy list play you could look at selling it on facebook or um through something like cards or something at some point and kind of maximize your return um i haven't given anything a 7.5 lately if everything aligns properly it's probably closer to a nine but there you have it make up your own mind yeah, I, I, I don't hate the idea here, for sure. And I, I want to stress that that's not the point I was making. I was just kind of walking through what I had been thinking about when I yeah. was looking at it myself. All valid points. Um, oh, I should also point out that, you know, I, I tend to look at things kind of in my head. I, I'm looking for a base of a double. Yep. But if you're... If you're comfortable with like, but like 30 to 45, like I think is very reasonable. It just, I'm like, uh, I, I tried I, the, the stuff that I put in the articles and on the cast, I look for stuff that I think can double, but that doesn't mean that you can't buy this at 30 and plan to sell at 45 and consider that a solid plan. That's totally fine too. And a much easier threshold to hit than $60. It's also been a while since I reminded our listeners that percentage points definitely matter, but you also need to be comparing to your real hourly rate, which is a solid number, not a percentage, because you can have 10 copies of something at $0.05 and get your double up and they go to $0.10, but if you spend an hour discussing when to sell them and how to sell them in the Discord, you are making negative money. Um, Travis wrote a really great article about... (laughs) doubling up and making no money quite some time ago it's in our best of uh, archive in our discord as well definitely worth a look um the bottom line is that a raw return of ten dollars on a thirty dollar card after fees can be better than a double up depending on the circumstances now if you've got a brick of something at three dollars and your buy list out is six dollars then yeah you're in a fantastic position that's our goal um but at minimum 
uh, I think personal play sets I would definitely would not be holding back because I don't see what circumstance in the next six months is going to lead you to a better price. Yeah, and I completely agree on the, you know, consider your time type of thing. I mean, 10 minutes ago, you heard me say that I have a box of 3 and $4 cards in the other room that I don't even bother selling because I don't think it's worth the time to take them out and list them. So, um, you know, I, I, and I would, trust me, I'd be happy to take 10% gains if my buy-in was $1,000. So <laughs> definitely one way to think about it. Um, all right, so I'll move on here. My first card of the week is uh, Wilderness Reclamation. Um, I'm thinking about the foils from Ravnica Allegiance here. Uh, you know, I'd like to tell you to buy the non-foils, but supply is going to be way too deep on those. Um, foils out of Ravnica Allegiance right now are about $9 or so. You will find about 30 vendors. So this is not a fire sale point right now. Um, you're not going to see these at $25 in two weeks. Uh, but 30 is, you know, 30 vendors is, is roughly approaching that point where I start like keeping an eye on things, right? It's, it's the, this isn't going to be gone in two, in a week or two, but it's definitely getting lower on supply, especially when they're all ones and twos of. And what really got me looking at wilderness reclamation was if you, you go through the modern, the pioneer results right now and black aggro and field of the dead are very high. Um, you know, those are the two major decks in the format, but just behind those, there's some other stuff in there. And I and I did see a couple Nexus of Fate decks between the PTQs and the Challenge Leagues and so forth, all running Wilderness Reclamation as a playset. And it's not only the Nexus of Fate decks, though. There are a couple builds using Wilderness Reclamation in Pioneer right now. Um, it's a very powerful card. Untapping your lands at the end of the turn, it's, it doesn't, it, it's sort of like giving you two turns, sort of. It's like kind of half of an extra turn. It's kind of a big deal um so and i do think the format is probably gonna be positioned to make use of that at least in the nexus of fate decks for a little while possibly some other you know the other builds will survive using the card in pioneer at the same time you're also looking at 5,000 eda trek decks and uh ravnica legions came out uh was it a year ago is that this past winter so I think that, or was that, no, was that the other one? Uh, let's, uh... <laughs> Fields of Ravnica fast. was the fall. Ravnica fall Legions of, was the second set. Uh, oh, yeah, Ravn so Ravnica Legions was this January, this past January. Yeah, so it hasn't even been a year, and this is at 5K EDA direct acts, which I think is pretty solid, because I... Uh, so basically, you've got the Pioneer Demand, where it's being used in a couple strategies, none of which are tier one right now, but very well could end up tier one if, you know, depending on how the pioneer bands shake out and is also got a solid support in EDH. Uh, so, you know, you're paying nine bucks or so for your foils, but the ramp is pretty steep after the first two play sets or so. Um, and I think you can expect to get out of these at 20, um, ideally within the first quarter of next year, possibly second quarter. I just put in an offer on eBay for two for 15 50. Um, like because the first while two I was talking, vendors, yeah, the two first two vendors I was looking at, Card Kingdom and Miniature Market, um, both usually well, reasonably well stocked, are completely sold out of foils. Um, the ramp is extremely steep, so even though there's yeah, there's thirty listings, but there's only ten listings that are under eleven dollars, and then it starts to creep up. Pretty much, it goes like eleven, twelve, fourteen, eighteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty nine, thirty. Yeah, it's a <laughs> pretty is, sharp wall exactly the kind of ramp that you're into the interesting thing here is again this is an uncommon foil mm -hmm. but 
This card was almost powerful. First of all, it's a build around, so it's almost always a four of. If you're going to play this strategy of trying to play at instant speed on your opponent's turn as well as doing things on your own turn, um, especially if you're fooling around with Nexus of Fate, and for as long as Nexus of Fate stays unbanned, this it looks good. If Nexus of Fate, which is the primary driver of this uh, in Pioneer, uh, is, is banned, then the prospects for this go back to a long-term thing. Um, but combination of EDH pressure, some modern pressure, because Sultai spells as, as per Sam Black is still a deck. Um, and this was, you know, not tier one in, in modern, but it was certainly a playable LGS deck. Um, that plus Pioneer, that's that triple threat we were talking about, like modern plus Pioneer plus Commander for the next year. Those are the cards that are going to pop off over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Good luck out there buying your Wilderness Reclamations. Yep, I like it. Good pick. All right, what um, do you got next for us? My next pick is uh, another one. The interesting thing of both my first two picks this week is they're a little higher than I would normally be comfortable with. Brazen Borrower is a fall set. If it was a rare, probably it'd be off my radar. But as a mythic, at 18, I mean, I would have been so much more into this at 10, given its current play profile. But when it was 10, or closer to 10, the play profile didn't exist yet. That's been kind of coming together as Pioneer has has formed up uh, its meta. So now we're looking at this Mythic that is safe from a reprint forever. You know, it doesn't get any better than a Mythic that just got printed. The only real threat to those is them showing up in a Challenger deck. The usual pattern for those is that the Challenger decks this spring will not include Mythics from the previous fall. They will include Mythics from two falls ago, so that they only interfere with the singles market for six months. Now, they could change their policy there. I mean, Wizards has been clearly signaling getting more aggressive about reprints again, given the the slew of reprint products we've seen released in the last month, or announced in the last month. But I suspect that Brazen Borrower is probably pretty safe. Um, the extended arts are already 30 plus. The extended art foils are like 70 plus or something. So there's no competition there, really. They're at different price points. You mean um, the showcase, right? Yeah, the showcase. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Not extended art. Um, it is an important distinction since you can get them in regular booster packs. Um, but they are very rare in regular booster packs. Go back and see my article about the relative rarity of, of showcase and collector booster extended arts versus regular rares and mythics um if you want to get some math under your under your feet for that um but brazen borrower is a top 40 card in pioneer uh it's also played in standard modern and legacy um and not just like on crazy fringe strategies there are real decks playing uh playing the card um it's a mythic pretty much at peak supply like eldraine the the story from vendors was that eldraine started strong and then trailed off hard as banning started to interfere um, it's got two years left in standard, and the showcases are drying up near 30. So I would expect those to push into the 40 to 5, 45 zone. That's certainly the better looking card. Like, it's not even close. Um, but the basic version of the card is the one that's currently $18. I see very little hold, holding this back from turning into a 30 to $40 card before it ever has a chance at a reprint. I, I uh, you know... Pr- proved my lack of competitive magic chops when i kind of dismissed this card 
uh, I'm not going to say out of hand, but I didn't love it when this came up um, in our, our set review with Dan Fournier. And I've, I've sort of been perplexed at its popularity ever since, but there's no denying that this card is just showing up way more often than I ever would have anticipated. So the demand is clearly there. And you're seeing that demand, as you said, across uh, pretty much every constructed, excuse me, every constructed format. And I mean, for what it's worth, it'll probably be played in cube as well. Um, you know, so for, for however much that adds, that that will also have an angle. I, EDH is the one place you're not going to see it, but that's fine. I think that... These all sound pretty solid. I don't see the demand profile changing here anytime soon, especially because it was just printed in the standard. So you've got some time there. Um, and people are probably already done drafting Throne of Eldraine or close to it. Probably not much of that going on. Theros, you know, I don't know how much drafting is going to happen between now and when Theros comes out, uh, you know, the GPs are going to have the mystery boosters. So a lot of people like I have a friend who always drafts side events at GPs and normally he would do the standard set, but he's doing the mystery boosters. So I'm guessing those are going to peel a lot of additional drafters away. Not that I expect that to add a major amount of inventory to the market, but it still does happen. Basically, supply is probably close to its peak, basically, um, for quite some time here. And you've got multiple formats where there's the demand. I I would be inclined to go for the non-foil showcase cards, I think, because they do look way, way better. And you can get them at 30, but you can only get like three of them at $30 and then they're 35 and then 40. So there's not even like, there's that much to go after. Uh, so I, I, it seems like you probably can't go wrong with either of those. And I would stress the non foils over the foils on this because it is a very competitive oriented card. Um, and the lack of foiling is probably going to be appealing for the types of guys who want to run this. It's just the multi-format staple status. If it holds, then I think the thesis here is rock solid. If it shows up in a challenger deck and they only give you one, that's not going to shake it at all. Um, so I, I don't really see um, what's going to hold this back. It also underlines the point I made last week about how I think Throne of Eldraine might be the next Kaladesh. Um, Daniel Fournier, um, our usual uh, Magic Pro come uh, guest who helps us evaluate sets, uh, also downplayed the power of a lot of things that he will now play with in Pioneer <laughs> and Standard and was saying on Twitter today about how, you know, he's coming around to how busted Eldraine is overall. Um, Nihilus, one of our mods in our Discord, has been talking about how he thinks uh, Pioneer, uh, Eldraine is so top-heavy. Like, there's only five really amazing cards. And I've been saying pushing back for weeks, saying that's totally wrong. There's 20 or 25 amazing multi-format staples in this set like it's a very pushed set in fact it's more pushed than kaladesh kaladesh is worth more because of inventions if collector boosters didn't exist and they had dropped those in as masterpieces then throwing about drain would absolutely have a future as a 160 to 180 dollar booster box mm. i know that this isn't exactly what you suggested but uh, I guess it's worth considering that the challenger decks, if they have Brazen Bower, will have it in the normal pack appearance. It will I not mean, have the uh, the showcase. I mean, version. Prob- probably at least Pro- based probably. on cur- current current <laughs> policy. Although they, they could pull a pull a fast one and say because those weren't collector booster guaranteed, they were always regular booster pack. 
uh, included, they wizards could say, you know what, we're going to run that sheet for these. Yeah, but but yeah. I find it unlikely because they're not they're not going to want to run that entire sheet just to pull a few cards off it. So that holds it back quite a bit. It's it's possible. It's possible. I wouldn't. Yeah. I agree. I agree that it's possible. I'm not like expecting that to be the case. No. But either way, you're in good shape. Right. I think. All right, your next your next pick. Oh yeah, I have another card to talk about. Uh, so. You know, trying to keep my feet in both camps here, Pioneer and EDH. Um, Corvold continuing to be very popular. I went digging through his list to see what I could find, and he did not disappoint. I found Cruxophate, the Black Wrath, either dragons or non-dragons um, in EDH. A popular Wrath because you get to blow up all your non-dragons, and dragons are a popular tribe and will continue to be a popular tribe. We got some... A new dragon, well, not a new, a updated version of a dragon commander in Secret Lair. So you're always going to see those with Genius Crux of Fate's always going to be good. Uh, currently has about 8,000 lists in EDH rack, so I like that positioning. Uh, you're looking at 18 uh, pack foil vendors. Um, you know, again, nobody has more than a playset, it seems like. And if you're buying at four, you are buying in the first half of the vendor so it looks like there's probably only about 10 people that have their copies at four dollars or less or around four dollars um there's not even a pre-release foil for this one interestingly enough uh i don't remember how the magic distribution (laughs) worked at that point uh but this somehow dodged that era where there were pre-release foils in any case um you've got a solid edh demand there at about eight thousand lists uh You've got foil and waning supply for a EDH tribe that is always going to be popular. Um, so I would consider this basically at a tipping point. You know, you can get in at four, four fifty, and look to sell around nine to ten dollars. We see this as a slow burn, right? Yeah, I mean, like any of these EDH foils, they tend to be not within two or three weeks. Uh, you know, you kind of let the five or six more copies go falls out from underneath the price jumps up and then you list yours at you know double the price and you kind of let them trickle out at that rate so i'm not buying more than a playset you know maybe maybe five or six if one guy has a bunch of them but so i'm not going super deep and i'm not expecting them to sell them very fast but without a reprint you can pretty reliably sell these probably one every week every other couple of weeks and they already did a, a dragon deck in commander 2017 that reprinted crux of fate non-foil so it's not like it's on their radar. Yeah, it did see a non-foil reprint in, in a Commander product. So th- that certainly always helps the foils to survive out in the wilds a little longer. Mm-hmm. And also puts it in more players' hands who might be inclined to go buy them now that they have the non-foil. Agreed. Okay, it's pretty solid. Um, my final pick of the week is a sell call. And not only is it a sell call, which is unusual for me, um, on this show in this segment, but it's a sell call on Magic Online. Mm. I was doing a little research because I've got a bunch of uh, dead specs that were suddenly rejuvenated from when I was managing a fairly sizable, like ten or fifteen thousand dollar Magic Online uh, portfolio three or four years ago. Um, one for me and one for some friends and family. Um, but split about fifty fifty either way. Um, got out clean, made some good money, and then it, it was I think it was around the time that we said we were going to push a bunch of money into inventions, right? <laughs> Pretty sure I went Magic Online, 
double up into inventions double up which is was good times um but i haven't really been paying much attention to magic online finance and we don't only recently did we add a area of our discord to discuss it um which has taken off a little bit but certainly i just don't have the time to to basically track an entirely different economy which is really what it is um however i did tweet yesterday that on September 18th of 2019, Field of the Dead on Magic Online was 55 cents. Today's buy list price, selling to goat bots, was 32.67 when I tweeted. Today it's 35.12. For a mere 6,300% ROI. And that is not even accounting for annual annualizing that return, which would make it just astronomical. Because that's less than a three-month return so you've got to you would basically be putting (laughs) just an insane number in front of yourself anybody that went deep on field of the dead in august or september has done very very well for themselves hundreds of dollars in return on basically nothing Mm -hmm. um so could this push higher well it pushed three dollars since the first time i talked about it yesterday but I most of this is predicated on the fact that Arena doesn't have Pioneer, so all the Pioneer testing gets done in Magic Online, which has rejuvenated the Magic Online economy for Pioneer cards in particular. But I think Field of the Dead might be the top pick for the next thing to get banned. I'd say it's maybe neck and neck with Smuggler's Copter. Copter doesn't really seem busted in the format, but is ubiquitous. Um... Field of the Dead, it doesn't seem like the format has all the right tools to handle it. Um, certainly doesn't, but it does, it's not clear that Field of the Dead decks are dominant so much as just very, very good. Um, Field of the Dead could live, in which case this could be a 50 ticket card. But if you were in early and you have a personal play set or more and you're wondering whether how greedy you want to be, at the very least, please start selling the ramp. Like, if you've got 12 copies of this, go ahead and sell four today and four in two days from now, and then four again next week or whatever. If you've just got your personal play set, ask yourself how much you really love your deck. If you love it, but whatever, do do your thing. But you can get out now and get $120, sorry, $140 just on those four cards. That's uh, the type of return that sort of makes you sick to your stomach. Yeah. <laughs> Like the same experience I've had, you know, I had with Bitcoin back when that was exploding. Um, yeah, that's nuts. I, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with the MTGO economy as you are, but I, I would agree that that sounds anytime you're looking at 7,000, 7,000% returns, you should probably be selling whatever was behind that because you, you can't expect that to be that rosy for much longer. So, you know, don't, don't be that greedy. Don't be that greedy. You know, like, put, to put it simply, had I liquidated, let's say that my magic inventory is worth about $150,000 or whatever now, and that if you wanted to go liquid relatively quickly, like within a month or two on that, you might only get half that value. So let's say it's 75000 street value. Um, if you had turned that into Field of the Dead, which would not be easy because you'd, <laughs> you'd be buying 150,000 copies, which you probably couldn't get your hands on without driving up the price. But let's just, you know, in magical Christmas land. Um even if you're doing it slowly, you could probably only accumulate like maybe 3% of that um, based on my prior experience with Magic Online. 
you would be a many times over multimillionaire. It's uh, kind of upsetting to think about, really. Is <laughs> my takeaway here. And and there, and I think comfortable. I think Vivian Arcbow Ranger was probably not quite this good, but also pretty ridiculous. Like definitely thousand yeah percent plus returns. Yeah, I thought I saw Seth mention that too, or somebody pointed that out that uh, Vivian had a similar response. I mean, MTGO is definitely the place where you can have the most insane gains. It's just because it's you know the digital format, uh, things can crash so low and then spike so high. Um, but you know that's uh, uh yeah. Uh, so a, a wild world over there. So Vivian went from a dollar seventy three on July tenth to a peak of seventy four tickets. So you could be up seventy two dollars per copy from July. Dang. It's a wild, wild west on Magic Online for Pioneer, that's for sure. If you if you can spot the thing that's going to be needed in Pioneer that nobody sees the opening draft weekend, you should be buying some cards. <laughs> you I'll, can I'll t- buy a house. Ha- having tried this, having managed a portfolio for a few years, though, you are going to miss a lot. Uh, timing Magic Online is not easy requires a lot of research, uh, and it really is a whole different thing. Like, you, ne- you need a solid 5-10 hours a week to stay on top of it if you're going to manage a sizable portfolio. And if you're not managing it, then you shouldn't be spending that kind of... T- if you're not managing a sizable portfolio, you shouldn't be spending that kind of time on it. Like, to, to do... To spend that kind of time just to, you know, try to build up your 50 tickets into 100 or whatever is not worth it. But if you're going to put 1,000 into it and try to turn it into 2,000, and you feel like you are, you know, a strong strong eye for card power that you know maybe you do a lot of heavy early play testing and formats then that might be something for you to consider sure you have to be very plugged in in order to make it worth it bottom line if you had 100 copies of feudal the dead you're selling them right oh yeah 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 for sure i need a new kitchen and and selling feudal the dead in paper is not a terrible idea either because it's it's just like 20 dollars or some nonsense yeah, and again, for the third time, I buy-listed these early, thinking I was getting out so clean when it, just before it got banned, and I cannot believe that it kept going up after the ban in standard. Sorry, 10, 10 for non-foils, 20 for foils. Sure. Still sell, because I, I don't trust the card in Pioneer. Like, it may well survive. It may not. It It remains to be seen. My concern there is Smuggler's Copter is fairly ubiquitous, um it is a pretty easily answerable card there are a lot of tools in the format that allow you to kill a smuggler's copter field of the dead is much more difficult to interact with you either have to have cards in your deck that specifically hate on on basic lands um there's no blood moons like alpine moon and things of that nature uh or you have to have some form of like repeatable sweeper effect which is like basically doesn't exist uh and you know you can play targeted land destruction, but that's very rare. So I, I, you know, I, I agree that Field of the Dead is, if not the card, then maybe some of the support for it might get shot, just because it's so much harder to deal with than other cards that see roughly the same play. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think Spe- you sell your Field of the Dead. 
Which sets up as a good segue into uh, segment three, our metagame we can review here. Um, if we look over at this PTQ from just a day or two ago, this recent, uh, it was heavy on the black aggro. I mean, this is like all over the place right now. Uh, and it's going to be really funny when the Pioneer ban list has like Oath of Nyssa and Blood Soaked Champion. People are going to be like, what the hell was going on with this format that these cards ended up banned? Bloodsoaked Champion was not a card <laughs> I foresaw being a force to be reckoned with in Pioneer. Uh, I, I, no. <laughs> I, I, continue, I continue to not understand why Anger of the Gods decks aren't just wrecking these decks. Like, yeah, they get to bring their creatures back from the graveyard against Supreme Verdict, but at that point, don't you just pivot into Anger decks? And exile them on the, and give do three damage to everything. Uh, Theros, yeah, is legal, legal, right? It's legal. Yeah, Ang- anger is legal. I guess it's just not a good red deck right now that that wants anger. That seems like it would be the most likely culprit. Is anger is a really good card without a deck to cast it? Like there's a black red, uh, value deck with Chandra Torch of Deviance. This finished fifth place in the Pioneer Challenge. Bomat Courier, Bone Crusher Giant, Goblin Chain Whirler, Hazaret, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Four Soul Scar Mage, Four Unlicensed Disintegration, Four Wild Slash, Two Heart of Kieran, Four Smuggler's Copter. I guess they're aggro and on board. So they're not controlish enough to want anger. Um, and that you don't really have that kind of like red white control deck that you would expect to see the angers in. It's just not in the format. Right. It's. Uh... I don't know. I you know I, I haven't been paying close enough attention to Pioneer in terms of like the metagame choices to know why this isn't getting hated out. And I, honestly, I'm surprised because I think I sat here a week or two weeks ago and I was like, well, Black Aggro is probably going to get beaten up enough that it, it'll kind of recede, make some room for other decks because aggro decks usually have difficulty hanging around the top slot. But mm, this is not how that's turning out. And I'm looking at my smugglers copters and getting a little nervous because even though I don't think that's the problem, it doesn't mean I'm not worried about it. Yep. Um, and I think it's chilling the market. Like I've got foil smother- smugglers copters at free, like competitive prices that aren't selling. And I think that's because people think that they are worried the card's too good. Like if, if people knew for a fact that copter was going to be around for two weeks, you would see an explosion on the foil copies. Because where are they going to reprint it? They're never printing Copter back in the standard. So there's no way it's in any of the sets that are announced for this year. There's It's not a commander card. So they're not going to show up in any of the slew of commander products. So unless there's a surprise Somerset thing planned, or they throw it into a secret layer or something, you're not going to see Copter. Which means the Copter foils are going to do very well if it survives. It's a single format card right now. So it's got to be Pioneer or nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been try- I've been hemming and hawing on copters for like the last couple of weeks now. And I just listed while we were talking a playset, and I think I'm gonna see if I can start moving some of these. Uh because I- I've got enough that it's just I-, I feel I feel like I'm just trying to get greedy hoping this hits like fourteen dollars. Uh but I'd ra- I just making me nervous. Making me nervous. Well, like for instance, Card Kingdom won't even take the foils right now. They'll take the promo foils at eighteen twenty which is very solid if you happen to have them. but and, and they'll take regular copies at 390 credit, but they're not taking any foils. 
because they they don't trust that it's going to last in the format either. If if they knew it was going to be there for a year, I guarantee you it would be on their buy list. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, and I also think Smuggler's Copter would probably cost more than ten dollars if people thought it was going to last that much longer. Yep. I would imagine that the fear of the ban is kind of baked into the price. Yep. And the thing is that because the bans come so fast in Pioneer, like don't get lulled by the fact that the last two weeks haven't had any bans. They have to take a breath. Otherwise, the format is unstable all the time, which is not going to help build the format. So I'll tell you exactly what they're doing over there. They're pouring over Magic Online results. They've drawn a line in the sand. They have a spreadsheet that shows them which cards are dominant beyond that line in the sand. And that's how they're calling bans. And they're setting a time frame saying, like, if the format doesn't respond within X number of weeks. And then do a, like, do a mental check on that, like a reality check on it manually. Is there any likelihood that that's going to change? Because if something like Copter, for instance, is all over the place and is winning and is like 50 to 60 percent of top eight decks over and over and over again. And it's got, yes, it's got lots of answers, but it's still doing well in the presence of things like Fatal Push and all of the Red Burn and pretty much every kill spell being able to kill it once it activates, but it still does well, then it's unlikely that anything's going to change in the format, right? Like, it, it, it suggests over some period of time that the format can't pivot around it, and then it just becomes a question of whether you're okay with it being that good of a card in the format. It, yeah, it, it, and it, it's... It, and here's the thing. It, if that card had a color in its casting cost, if it was using the latest uh, policies in terms of artifacts having colors to help narrow their utility, say that was a red card, like one red artifact, Smuggler's Copter, it would probably live because it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be playable in the black deck, for instance. Or, or it, would only, it would be playable in less decks. Right. Um, so anyway, Smuggler's Copter looking pretty risky. The The rest of this challenge uh, was, so we had Mono Black in first. You got the Wilderness Reclamation Nexus of Fate deck in second. Tamio Collector of Tales, come on, get there. It's only a two of in that deck, but I really like to triple up on the dirt cheap 200 copies I picked up in Europe this summer. That would probably, uh, wouldn't be bad. Having missed one of my easy exits early just by being slack about handing them into the buy list at the right time. Because it was, I think it was a four of in a standard deck midsummer, and I just didn't take my exit when I should have. Um, mono black in third, and then you've got a green ramp deck that uses two Field of the Dead, um, and then have the top end of two Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, which I'm sure you're happy about, four Walking huh. Ballista. And uh, for Ugin the Spirit Dragon, this is almost like a Tron deck. Um, they're running the, th- the three Castle Garenbrig to do their best Tron impersonation. Um, three Shrine of the Forsaken Gods, too. Which is a, a dual land to cast colorless spells. Why, why am I excited about Ulamog? Didn't you buy a bunch of Ulamogs when this format kicked off? Emrakul. Oh, Promised End. That one hasn't really shown mm-hmm. up much. But yeah, there's one in the sideboard here. <laughs> it's been popping up, uh, but not as, admittedly not as much as I anticipated. But I'm not too worried about it because that card is still bananas. Um, and I, I think it did it did increase in price since I bought them. Uh, just not quite enough for me to be too wild about it. 
It's hard for me to believe this format's going to get much better ramp than this deck already has, though. They're running four Arboreal Grazer, four Elvish Rejuvenator, two Golos, four Hour of Promise, and four Nisus Pilgrimage, plus four Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Um, I don't know what card they can print that makes that suite any better. I don't think it needs ramp. I think it needs... uh... Delirium is what you use to cast that. I think the problem is the format must just probably is problematic in other ways that make the the delirium strategy not uh, viable for whatever reason. Oh, so so you're looking for when they screw up and make Emrakul, Treasure Cruise, and Dig Through Time too good because they put stuff in that can be easily sacrificed or knocks a bunch of cards into the graveyard incidentally. Yeah, or like they get rid of the decks that. It, like maybe the black aggro and field of the dead are just so good that it's not really worth trying to go that route. But if that stuff is gone, well, maybe now attention gets paid to the sort of the other strategies um, and it gets some ground there. So, I mean, really Emrakul is the best top end in the format. It just seems like nobody's trying to go to the top end. Like they're either attacking you with blood soaked champion or they're, casting or they're putting field of the dead in the play and just putting a bunch of lands in the play no one's really casting anything expensive in this format right now i mean given what's what is dominating the format pretty easy to argue that it's actually ugin the spirit dragon is the best top end not only mm. is it cheaper than Emrakul and ulamog but its sweeping effect against colored permanence is incredible when ugin you're facing a board full of black stuff Ugin is legit. Green stuff. But I do notice that it's um even that is not seeing that much play. Like but he's just, round. There's, there's basically but not this that one, much. There's basically this one deck. Yeah. Um, so then we had in sixth place we had the you know, you said uh the Nikthos decks were fading. Not really. I mean Nikthos decks have now been through two through <laughs> two sets of bands and are still looking good. This one's well, running. Well, it's not four. like they're six of the top eight anymore. True, but they're still top eighting. Uh, four Nisa Who Shakes the World, four Vivian Arcboat Ranger, four Once Upon a Time, four Burning Tree Emissary, four Elvish Mystic, four Jade Light Ranger, four Llanowar Elves, three Scavenging Goose, four Voracious Hydra, four Walking Ballista. Lands include two Castle Garenbrig and four Nykthos. This is a tight list. Like, <laughs> this this deck just shows up and does what it does, and you better be ready to execute a plan that's just as streamlined. Yes. Yeah, Nykthos is, uh, they're not messing around. Um, then another black deck in seventh and another black deck in eighth. So, I mean, the dominance of the black decks in specific seem like the greatest threat to Copter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And the question is, is whether it's going to look at that and say Copter is a problem or are they going to look at that and say black just has a lot of really good tools for this right now. Uh, and if we get rid of Copter, it slows us all of the aggressive decks down like it takes that tool away from all of them but black is still going to have the best card in the format which is thought seize um the best removal possibly which is fatal push yep see the thing is that you could argue that you could hamstring this deck by taking out castle lockthwain because it gives them the reach um it lets them post up against control decks by just drawing out of problems um where they get swept away by a supreme verdict etc but there's no way they're going to ban the new rare instead of the old rare they already banned once. Like, I think this is a yeah. deck where if they decide this deck is a problem and the stats are supporting it, Copter's getting the axe. Because it was already on the maybe list from the very from the get-go. Everybody knew it. In fact, it, it, uh, you know, and it, 
in fact, there are people that have been talking about copper as a problem, pros, for weeks. So, Yeah, it, it does seem like it would be hard to pick anything other than copper. Like, it just is, it, it feels very much like the natural choice here. Um, not because it's the best card to ban necessarily, but because it just makes more sense than everything else. I mean, frankly, look at that list and tell me what other card here is a card that you could see being banned. Like, do you want to be the guy who works at Wizards who has to write an article that Wrinkle Master of Pranks is banned in Pioneer? Like, I mean, come on. Come but, on. And, that's and, and, that's wrinkle, not going to happen. And Wrinkle is good in the deck, but doesn't define the deck. And that's the thing. Like, the yeah. Wrinkle and Smuggler's Copter give air support to an aggro deck, which is always a nice thing to have. Like, that, you need some form of evasion for the decks that can just put big green bodies on the, on the table and block you. Getting rid of four of their cheapest flyers might just put this in a position where this deck is either probably still playable because Lockthwain is still such a good card, um, and they also get to run four Mutavolt. But it probably does to the black deck what happened to the green deck and just makes it still good, but not dominant. And that just might be too tempting for them to leave alone. In fact, I think I've just talked myself into discounting my copters further. <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, it When we look at these results, it does feel like there's not a lot of choices. I mean, for non-foils, Card Canyon will give you 390 at credit. And those cards were worthless a couple months ago. So... They weren't worthless when I bought them, though. <laughs> well, what was your in on copper? Uh, I want to say they were under two. Yeah, so that's a double up. So you take it and you run. Yeah, but I could be greedy. And you could. Being greedy means I can make more money. In, in those cases where you don't know for sure what's going to happen, I like at least covering your in. So say you got 30 copies, sell half, and then wait and see what happens. Oh, that's definitely the right play. But remember, I could be greedy. <laughs> you just have to keep that in mind. That so let's go over to the Pioneer PTQ then. See if it was any different than the challenge. Nope. Mono Black won that one too. Uh, and then you yeah, had man. you had Sultai uh, Oko in second place. Then Mono Black in third. Nexus of Fate in fourth. Mono Black in fifth. Sixth. Seventh. And then you've got the uh, big mana green deck in eighth with Field of the Dead. Um, that's the green black version, not the one that uh, has Ugans at the top end. Yeah, so, and I mean, if you go down outside of the top eight, it doesn't look much different. So that's pretty spooky because I, if I'm right, and it makes perfect sense, like it's not doesn't take a brainiac to figure out that the data that's available to Wizards is the MTGO data. Um, <laughs> that's not looking good for Copter. No, and uh, you know the more we've talked about it here, I I'm thinking like there's, it, it this is not new. This didn't happen three days ago. Mono black has been good in the format for a couple weeks now, uh, and I just don't know what else they would do about it. And it feels like it's been long enough that they are going to do something. So I don't know. I'm gonna have to get rid of mine apparently. Ugh. I'll stop being greedy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It's just looking, looking too dominant. There's some other, there's some other fun stuff in here, but it's it's very heavily through all the places, through all 32 places in this PTQ. It's very heavily mono black, field of the dead, and then some of these, um, these like Oko decks. You know, you've got like a couple odds and ends sprinkled here, but it is so heavily 
I mean, this has got to be, without running the numbers, like 70% black in Field of the Dead, I think. Possibly more. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, well, I, I you know, we've got six days. Monday is uh, a couple days away. And they did say they weren't banning anything this week, most likely. So possibly uh, they've got they've got something in store for us come this coming Monday because they had to take a week off. Well, they, took, they, they skipped two weeks. So we'll, this will be the third. So I think it's tempting fate for them to leave it much longer if they think there's a problem. Copter seems to be the most likely to be declared one. Well, they didn't, right. they didn't do anything the one week, right? And then they skipped this week. I thought it was what it was. Well, they no, they two weeks ago they said they were going to take two weeks off. That's what happened. Oh, did they say? Oh, they did say it was two weeks they were taking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought it was one. All right, <laughs> so segment four this week. Uh, it feels like we are part of the Wizards uh, product promotion team at this point because they are releasing new products so frequently. That it is extremely rare um, over the last little while for the topic of the topic of the week not to be discussion about a new product, and lo and behold, uh, this week is no different. Secret Layer. We theorized last week that this was probably some kind of uh, drop type uh, product where maybe they were going to put a card and some accoutrement, some accessories or something together in a box. Turns out, not quite. Um, they're just gonna they're just gonna put cards because it's cheaper and they're lazy. Um, revenue they should have realized that the higher margin play would be the one they would go with. That makes perfect sense. Um, so here's the quick lowdown. Next week, they are going to put uh, from December second to 9th, every day a different drop is going to take place. You're going to have 24 hours to buy a specific box of magic cards. The boxes in question will range from, will either be uh, $39.99 or $49.99. And, sorry, $29.99 or $39.99, um, yep. depending on the box. And there will be um, between three and seven cards within those boxes, all of which have unique art that has been sourced from artists that Wizards uh, deliberately went out of their way to work with new artists, it looks like. Um, was expecting more or different. Um, and in retrospect, now that we've seen everything that is included it looks pretty clear that this product was probably designed several months ago before Wizards made the final call that Pioneer was going to get dropped on everybody's laps because there is a pretty clear modern focus on the cards that are competitive tilted that just seems quaint <laughs> heading into the end of 2020. Um, before we go through what's actually in these boxes, what's your quick take on this? What was your like first response when you had seen all of this unfold? Uh, I mean, aside from hating those cats, I think it was less so. The whole thing was just less than I anticipated. I thought that there was going to be more to this than what ended up being in here. Um, and when I looked through the inclusions, I, I, I feel like I say this a lot. I thought it was pretty underwhelming. I mean, like, five alternate art foil snow basics. But, like, 
who wants these? What is the market for that card? And I think you're exactly right. This was definitely aimed at modern, not pioneer, uh, which kind of makes sense because if you're doing new art, you have to give those guys like months lead, right? Uh, but overall, these, aside from like one or two, it just seems like for such a limited run product, the product itself isn't that appealing. Like how the thing- how many people are there that are going to badly want these goblins? The funny thing is, they started off, I thought, strong. The kitties product, I hate, just like you. It's not for me. But then I'm not a I'm not a pet or a cat guy in general. I appreciate animals. I love animals. I think we should not have yeah. them in our homes because I think it's terrible. Um, but I get how this laser targets people who love cats. And if they're part of this, the brilliance of this product is they are basically getting payers to players to pay for them to do product marketing um, research that explores what sub niches in the hobby might be profitable. They get to get, they're going to get seven different sets of sales stats and be able to rank these in secret in terms of how well they sold. And that's very interesting, right? Because if kitties is say twice as popular, like say it sells 20,000 copies and the rest only sell 10,000 because the way they're doing this is new is a 24 hour window to purchase, but it will not, cannot sell out during that um, window. And the way I think they're handling that is they have pre-printed a certain number of these. I'm going to guess 10,000. And those, if you get in in the first 10,000, yours probably ship right away because I think they're pre-printed ready in the warehouse. People that order later in the day on a very popular product that exceeds available inventory will probably get theirs four to six weeks later because I think it's going to have to go to press. (coughs) So it could turn out that some of these boxes are much higher rarity than others, right? If Kitties is not that popular, it only sells like a thousand copies, then those Kitties cards, even though they're crappy cards that nobody really needs for any particular deck, could end up being really expensive down the road. You know, buy lists might end up pretty hungry for them because they just can't get their hands on any. Like say that the Kitty, they, they made 10,000 of each and the Kitties only sold 5,000. Well, the people that buy them are probably buying them because they love the cat cards and want to own them forever. They're very unlikely to give them up. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not going to, the people that buy the cat set are not going to go, well, I like this cat card, but not this cat card. Yeah. They're probably just going to be exactly. I get exactly what you're saying. My thought here is at least in terms of the cat one, the cat one specifically, there's nothing here that none of these cards are good, right? Like the the, the core problem is the cards aren't appealing. They realize that with cat people, it doesn't matter. It's just that, it's like the My Little Pony cards that they released last month. They're not good car- magic cards. You can't play them anywhere, but it's magic My Little Pony. So that's the whole thing of it. The Grimlock card a few years back was the same thing. The So the kitty cards, it was smart for them to not put great cards there because A, there aren't that many good cat cards anyway. B, the cat people aren't buying it for that purpose. They just want to have magic cards that have cool art cats on them. I, I think the rest of these sets are fairly similar. They're going to be... They are going to be, most of them are going to be tough to break up and sell as singles for the collectors. 
The wild card is how many people in the MTG finance community, or just players who choose to dip their toe in the speculation waters, even if they don't really pay attention to anything we do, um, are going to buy a bunch of these just thinking they're going to go up. Because those people, uh, like people in our Discord that buy some of these, they are definitely flipping them. So they they may choose a card or two that they want, especially out of Kaleidoscope Killers, which I think is the most likely set for people to buy, keep a card or keep two cards and sell the other one. Um, but the rest is really going to depend on how much speculation goes on. And all of this is going to be stuff we don't have easy stats on. The only stats we're going to be able to lean on is going to be after the fact, after we've already made our decisions. So once you've placed your bets, six months from now, you'll be able to compare total number of copies listed on TCG Player. And that will be a very interesting um, case study when we get that far down the road. But it will be in the rearview mirror. Right. Uh, To the cat point specifically, I just meant that, yes, very few of, you know, it could be the case that very few of those get sold. Um which leads to them being very rare down the road. I guess the problem is I don't know under what condition someone would go back to that well and want to buy them again later type of thing. Well, one of the issues with premium product in general worth pointing out is just that the hype cycle is moving so fast, so hard, and so frequently that nothing really has time to breathe. It's entirely possible that smart picks of Throne of Eldraine extended arts end up being terrible. In six to 12 months, they end up stalled out like the box toppers from Ultimate Masters. A year ago, I mean, it was just a year ago that Ultimate Masters came out. That's amazing. Feels like it's been a decade. Yeah. But when yeah, that yeah, when sure. that was announced as like a stealth release last holiday season and people found out about the box toppers, everyone was clapping. It was like they finally got masterpieces right again. These make perfect sense. So many of the cards were good and people assumed they were going to be rocket ships. But instead, they've almost completely stalled out. They, you know, people not. It was pretty tough. Yeah, to make money, I, money, money on box hoppers, unless you were working a buy list margin. Well, there's two. There, okay, so there's two. There's two things here. Uh oh shoot! What was my first one? Oh, damn it! Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit the podcast so I can sit here and think about this. Do you? Oh, I know. The first one was the first one was going to be that uh, there are a lot of cards in Magic's history that had like pretty limited print runs that are weird one offs that aren't common, but still don't have price tags because even though there aren't much of them out there, even though they are rare, there's no market for them. And I kind of imagine some of these cards being in that vein, you know, the cat cards the goblin cards, um, the snow basics, like sure, maybe only 7,000 people bought those. So there's just very few out there on the market, but like nobody's out there trying to buy them anyways. So the price just kind of sits because they're just not popular. Uh, so, so I, I, I let's, the let's, best bet. let's <sighs> review what's actually in these sets, right? Yeah. Okay. So the okay. names, the, there's seven sets. And one of the interesting things here is actually that you get a chance to buy them all at a, at a slight discount where you basically get $4 off the $30 ones and $5 off the $40 ones, basically paying $200 for, instead of $230 if you buy them all together on the first day. But on that day, you can only buy them all together. 
So the only day where you can get the discount and get all of them is the very first day. Then they release mm-hmm. them one by one, which is interesting because as you pass each of the one by ones, there is a chance FOMO will set in. It's entirely possible that, say, the day after Bitter Blossom Dreams or whatever, people are going to go, ah, oh, shit, I forgot to put that in my calendar. I didn't buy it. And they literally can't anymore because the full set's gone. The individual sale's over. Now they're dealing with the secondary market. And it could be that flipping these for plus $15 a set is doable. The problem is Wizards is going to, I almost guarantee you, charge unkind shipping and taxes on the preliminary sale. And then you're looking at shipping something that's not a single card plus um, paying 10 to 15% fees on the sale. So going from 30 plus like probably could be 37 or something all in you really want to be selling at 60 or more to make that worth your while so you you know if something sells out and there's significant fomo in the market you could see copy sell on ebay for i'm guessing something like 49.99 by people that are dumb and don't do the math or 59.99 and if something was really great 69.99 79.99 wouldn't be crazy but i just don't see the thing here that's going to drive that um so let's Th- dig that's in what- possibly the biggest strike against that is just there's so little in here that i feel like anyone actually wants there is a version of secret layer out there like it's not this one but it exists and the restless and peace is the closest we got of cards that are actually good and people want that have this cool treatment that are poised to do a lot of work so the first release is bitter blossom dreams it's got a very good looking bitter blossom no question and the price of the entire box which is just bitter blossom and four tokens that that form a panorama for whatever that i was not expecting that by the way (laughs) it was literally just bitter blossom yeah but it's Bitter Blossom priced at below Bitter Blossom's current market price. And it's mm-hmm. funny that Bitter Blossom is holding that price because Bitter Blossom is very, very rarely played in modern and is a minor presence in the rest of Magic. So, again, a weird card choice because it's a, you know, 10 years ago, this would have been a pretty big deal. But now, who needs this? Like, this is this might be the one that's actually worth buying just from the strict sense of if you were in the market for bitter blossoms already. I just don't know why you would be. And I'm not sure that even though I could easily see the bitter blossom going up five or ten dollars this year, that's not enough to make it worth chasing after when when you consider shipping and taxes and fees and whatever. <clears throat> this was also the one that pissed off Ben Blyweiss at Star City Games who almost immediately uh, tweeted at Wizards directly, asking them if they intended to enter the singles market. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty pretty aggressive tweet from the head of uh, retail at a major vendor. So that's, a, I feel like, a separate conversation uh, that we can get to. But um, yeah, the best outcome for the Bitter Blossom here is that it gets printed in Pioneer. <laughs> like, like that's how you make money on this oh, yeah. version. Is that would it? Be tight. It's, 
Yeah, right. It shows up in Pioneer, and suddenly that card has a lot more demand than it did previously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, without that, I just I don't know who's going to be playing Bitter Blossom again. I have to go back to the Restless and Peace jumping out at me as being sort of the the most likely to be a chase one because Life from the Loam, Blood Gas, and Golgari Thug are all very playable cards. Um, Golgar, Blood Gas, and Life from the Loam especially so. Of course, none of those are in Pioneer. All right, so uh, wait, they're wait, all modern we staples. We, we haven't got to that that part yet. Um, all right, all right, all right, fine. I want to make the point though that applies to those cards as well, and, and Bitter Blossom. One of the things we might be underestimating is that if you want one, you probably want four, because I don't think there's a lot, a tremendous amount of collectors that need this Bitter Blossom. Other than the people that just buy one of everything. So, like, my dad will obviously just buy the full $200 set and forget about it five seconds later. But if you're playing with this, you need all four. Bitter Blossom is a build-around, so you play four of them. Um, Which means these are going to sell four at a time. Which could help its price down the road, because people aren't going to buy one at a time later. They're going to buy four at a time. Um, Mm. Now, the second set is called Eldraine Wonderland, which you mentioned earlier is just five foil basic lands. Now, the art on those, it's nice. It's good art. But it's $6 a basic. And again, Snowlands made a lot more sense before Pioneer was announced when snow looked like a theme. I was (laughs) prognosticating last summer about how Oh, it looks like Modern Horizons is setting us up for a snow set in the next year. Well, that set doesn't seem to be on the horizon. And Wizards probably just steers clear of snow shit now that they don't need to worry about Modern. Like, they don't, they don't really need to go back to that well if they don't want to. Um, the, yeah, that was... the whole. Th- in retrospect, everything that happened with Modern Horizons and snow and all that, very odd. Well, it doesn't seem... It, it's, because it's a set that was designed like a year before the Pioneer announcement and months before they knew they were doing it. So by the time they were, one of the things that's very, people probably, of all the things players could be pissed off about this year, them, the way that they handled promotion around Modern Horizons is probably the most real. Because when they designed Modern Horizons, they didn't know about Pioneer. So fair game. But when they released Modern Horizons, they absolutely knew about Pioneer. So... Mm -hmm. They were very disingenuous. And like just the fact that it's Modern Horizons, like one, MH1 was the tag suggesting there was a second one coming. We were wondering how fast, like, is that six months away? Is it two years away? (coughs) It really suggested there was another one coming. I really doubt that there is at this point. Well, there still, I'd say there still could be, but yeah, I mean, it, it would have already had to be kind of in the pipe, I would suppose. So people were arguing with me on Twitter about whether these are actually superior um, snow basics because the art is better than on the Modern Horizons lands, which I agree with. But I think the overall presentation factor of the Modern Horizons lands is better. And a couple of the Modern Horizons ones, the Swamp and the Island, are still very good. Um, so I, I just these are non-factors. Fancy basics is not where you want to be speculating. So I, individually, I'm a hard pass on this one at $29.99. The next one is the one you were mentioning, Rest, Restless in Peace, which I figured was going to be about zombies. 
Turns out it is dredge-focused. Four Golgari Thug, four Life from the Loam, four Bloodgast. Um, fantastic art on these. And I guess if you play dredge, these are appealing, but ish? Like, it's not even like... Depends which format you're playing dredge in, right? Because I guess, is Thug the most ubiquitous of these? Or is it Life from the uh, Thug is very ubiquitous because he's legal. He's like the only dredge card that doesn't get banned. Uh, the follow-up would probably be Life from the Loam because it shows up in all sorts of various strategies. It's also very popular in EDH. Um, so that's definitely... Life from the Loam seems like the biggest get here just because it's got a lot of support from various places. Uh, of course, Life from the Loam already has several printings at this point. So, and I don't know how much another normal how much of life from the loam with nifty looking art is really going to matter when you've also got the you know the uma box toppers going on and that type of thing what yeah and those are nice and i'm pretty sure i'm stuck holding some of those the um Mm. almost sure those are in my current box of shame the ten dollars for each of these (coughs) they might appreciate like these might end up being 15 or 20 dollar cards later but I'm not convinced I'm diving in on these yet. Um, the next one is, I I foolishly suggested these were going to be for Ancestral Vision based on early clues and then needed to slap myself around after they revealed that it was for Serum Visions being like, yeah, as if they were going to put that much value in one of these boxes. Um, <laughs> this is another I missed 30, that comment. This is another $30 box. Um, the art is intentionally psychedelic. I think it's actually trash. Like I, I don't think this is. These are even good versions of psychedelic art. Um, not no. maybe the one on the far left that looks like like bit art is okay, but again, like is anybody going to be investing in expensive versions of Serum Visions at this point? Now I will tell you that I think you know I, I'm scrolling through here as we're talking. I. I think the Serum Visions is possibly the best one here. Close to it. Just because each of those arts will have its adherence. Sure. Like, they're funky, they're trippy, that's fine. Some people are going to buy a set of these and then sell the three they don't want and try and finish their playset of the other ones. And that um, just means the market will be flooded, if that's true. Well, but but I mean, like, you like the bit one, but that's not the one I would get. Like which I one, think each are and the I don't uh I'd have to spend more time thinking about it, but the chick drinking out of the bowl is kind of cool looking. Um, yes, yes. So I, is the so is that third one with the, the guy with the trident is kind of funky looking. They're they're nifty looking, and I like that it's a different take on the concept of someone having visions because they drank serum. Um, in any case, these are very playable cards that you play as a f- play set. They're cool art. You can buy it. You can buy one, sell the other three, and then try and buy three more copies of the one you like. Now, this is still hamstrung by the fact that it's who needs serum visions these days. It's pretty much nobody. But again, if it gets printed in the Pioneer, I can see demand for these going uh, up a lot. So I will tell you this much: if I ever saw serum visions printed in the Pioneer, 
I would immediately go look for these to check the inventory yep. because these are probably going to be real. All of these, right? We already established are going to be very low inventory for the most part. And then if suddenly one of them shows up in Pioneer and there's a lot of, you know, all the promo copies of that card get spicy. Uh, just like when we saw Banishing Light in the um, the Theros reveal or the Theros leak, I should say, I immediately hit TCG player and went and bought Banishing Light FNM promos because they're dirt cheap. And as soon as that stuff comes back, the promos uh, suddenly look exciting. So I, I like Serum Vision simply because it's cool looking art um, and it's the type of thing players would go out of their way to collect as opposed to paying six or seven bucks for ugly Snowlands or at least Snowlands that are unimpressive. Next set is a Goblin set that has Goblin Bushwalker, Bushwhacker, Goblin Sharpshooter, Goblin King, Goblin Lackey, and Goblin Piledriver. Um, people wanted a Lackey reprint. Uh, Sharpshooter was an absolute beast back in the day, but does nothing anywhere right now. Um, Bushwhacker and Pile Driver are ostensibly playable in modern goblins. I don't think that deck plays Goblin King, however. Um, Mountain Walk not being relevant in modern. So these are like... I can buy that there are enough goblin-focused folks, like just like goblins is a eternal tribe for magic so there are goblin fans that have been playing the game for 25 years so these will sell but i think these are these will sell to collectors more than anybody who's looking to put them in decks and so i put them in the same boat as the cats in the sense that i think there are less likely to be copies of these floating around in the market whereas the serum visions one both there's the thing about people buying four sets, keeping the four they want, and flipping the other cards. There's also the fact that speculators may think that the competitive-focused ones are more likely to make money because people want full play sets down the road. I, I mean, maybe. The, the problem I have with the Goblin one is they're an eternal, an eternal tribe, but these are supposedly competitive Goblins. Three but of them like are. lack yeah but i i just there's version there's plenty of versions of these already no one's really playing it in modern modern's already losing a ton of ground we assume that's going to continue but goblins doesn't look like it's in pioneer at all right now uh no you know people who build casual goblin decks aren't paying a fortune for special promos these are just the type of card where i just don't know where their home is like who who is going to be using these cards someone will buy them but it's not going to be very many people fair so the next one is uh kaleidoscope killers and i think we can both agree this is the best set this is three uh five color commander cards in relatively important commanders at least Reaper King getting a reprint with great art is a fairly big deal. Sliver Overlord with excellent art, solid deal. Erdragon, eh, but they all look great. And you're paying 40 for these, so they're like 13-ish each. That seems fine, and I think these will make money. I if I, I, I sort of thought I wasn't going to buy any of these, like any any of them. But if I, the more I think about it, I think I will probably get four sets of these. Just to be in the pocket, watch, 
give myself a reason to be watching these over a period of time. Um, I, I think that the Kaleidoscope, Kaleidoscope Killers is the... I got it. I do not like that name either. I think the the five color one here is tied for first. I, I'd have to spend some time thinking about whether I like this or Serum Visions more. Right now, it's definitely this one. Although I could see that Serum Visions one's going nuts if it's legal in Pioneer. But today, right now, yeah, probably this five color group. Um, it's funny to, to hear you describe it because I think that Reaper King is like the least exciting card here. I think Sign of the Ur Dragon is has cool art it reminds me of like old um like old 70s or 80s comic book like high fantasy yeah, yeah. art yeah, type yeah. thing uh which is kind of nifty plus it's a relevant commander sliver overlord fairly relevant and also a big include in those decks reaper king i don't think is all that popular um and i i'm actually willing to bet that a lot of people didn't even really know about scarecrows or reaper king when they saw this like they're like probably like what the hell is that thing and they have to go look it up and then they that that actually might spur a whole bunch into Reaper King decks because people just like didn't know it was out there uh, and like wait what happens when I put a scarecrow in the play uh, and then they go to Scryfall and find out that there's like eight scarecrows. Well, I mean Reaper, Reaper um, King was expensive, especially in foils, sixty eight dollar foils because it was a Shadowmore foil that never got a reprint. There oh are- yeah, the foils on those were nuts, but there just weren't any. They they didn't exist. And that was a problem. You could actually make the argument that getting any kind of bargain on one of the handful of foils remaining on the internet might be worthwhile because just the refocusing of attention on Reaper King through this set might be enough to push the original pack foils up to a hundred. Some people might decide, Oh, I'd rather have the original. Yeah, maybe it's possible. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, Bid on, bet on that with more than one copy, really. In any case, you know, if you're you're paying forty bucks for the three of these, so you're paying about thirteen dollars or so for each copy, assuming that forty dollars is the price to your door. Uh, I mean, I could see you doubling up from there, right? Like that doesn't seem wild to be able to sell these at twenty to twenty five. There's a, um, there's a couple things in, in our way. Future. Let me put my Jason Alt hat on. Um, one of them is that multi like five color commanders tend to be some of the least popular. Um. The other is that I think a lot of people are going to think this is the best one. Our Discord certainly does. And mm. that means more of it's going to sell. Um, yeah. There's a weird catch-22 here where if you're, you kind of want to be buying the one nobody else is buying to work the buy list later. Um, mm-hmm. And buying in small enough quantity that the buy list will actually take them off your hands. Like you don't want to have a thousand copies of any of this stuff because the buy list will never need a thousand copies of any of these. But thousand copies, you'd own ten percent of the market. Keep in mind, people were like, "Oh, LGSs are locked out." Well, no, they're not. They can buy these too, <laughs> and their shipping will be split across ten or twenty sets. And yeah, I don't big, understand and, why you'd think they'd be locked out. And the, and the big, yeah, so, I mean, they're locked out of getting a discounted price, but you, you think every major vendor in North America is not just going to buy a huge pile of these, like Star City Games, Channel Fireball. They may, they're going to place huge orders to whatever extent they think they can unload them within their usual time frame. So maybe not 20,000 units, but they're certainly going to order 100 because they know they can mark them up 30 or 40% and sell them, you know, in store on the walls of gps whatever um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think the other tricky part about this set 
is that people will buy this for the commander they want and then flip the other two. So I think there's a very good chance for that two-thirds of this set gets dumped into the market, which is significantly different, I think, than the cat set um, and some of the other ones. Well, yeah, I think I, I think that's a, a fair takeaway here is that that's the most splittable. So, th- so the, the approach I, the approach I might take is targeting these under thirteen dollars as singles, and and prioritize based on the relative popularity of these three commanders, which I haven't even double checked yet on EDH rec. Mm-hmm. Because why why buy them equally at thirteen when I can target the most? I, I'm assuming Sliver Overlord is the card that matters most here. Uh. It might be Scion of the Ur-Dragon. It's not Scion, by the way. It's just the Ur-Dragon. Scion is the... Oh, the Ur-Dragon. The crappy card. Uh, I, I could see it being Scion or the Ur-Dragon because there are two other, two or three other very good Sliver five-color commanders. All right. So according to EDH Rex's recent pruned stats, which should be decks reported in the last two years, if I understand it correctly, Ur-Dragon is the second most popular... Uh, five color commander at 1543 reported after Joda Archmage Eternal at 1882 and then Sliver Overlord is sixth at just 964 so in theory only two thirds as popular as Ur-Dragon and then Reaper King Reaper is King at, at 250 five, Reaper King's at 500 so only a third is popular so you're right you should just be buying Ur-Dragons under 15 probably mm-hmm now, well, keep, so keep, we know. Keep in mind they reprinted the Ur Dragon, right? This is this is not the first reprint for that card. No, I don't think so. So it's it's I think it had two printings if I'm not mistaken. Scryfall's slow as hell today. So I don't know if Ur- that's because TCG players giving them trouble or what. Actually, I, I had this wrong. I assumed Ur Dragon had a pack version. It doesn't. It was a Commander 2017 card, and that's the only place it's ever appeared. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was they, in treasure chests apparently. Wait, are these were these ones foil or not foil? Uh, I'm gonna say they must they must be foil. That art the scan on Scryfall looks foil to me. Yeah, so I mean there would have been an foil. advantage if it had been non foil because it would have been the only non foil Ur Dragon. Um, but it's still. <coughs> I, I think you can make the argument that targeting the Ur Dragon single on during the race to the bottom might be appropriate because people people will be willing to buy this for 40 and then sell them below 13 a piece to get rid of dump the copies they don't want i could see getting yeah. dragons in the race to the bottom at like 9 to 11 yeah i think that's plausible for sure all right and then so the last one is the infamous kitties pack which gives you the most total pieces of cardboard for what that's worth. Not much, as it turns out. You get two cat tokens that are basically ripoffs of the Star City Games uh, cute animals thing they were doing for years. Regal Caracal, Quasali Slingers, Leonin Warleader. Uh, the Roar of the World card is probably the most impressive art overall. And then Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Um, I hate looking at these. This is just so the opposite of what I'm into. Um, but this is a $40 set as well. And all the cats are foil here. This is... Uh, yeah, they are all foil. My Yeah, my problem here is none of these cards are good. Right? This is the issue. Is that even if there's so few of these on the market, like no one wants to buy these cards. 
like especially three or four years from now, like how many, the only thing anyone is going to come here for is Roar of the World or Weatherlight Duelist. But even then. All right. Mm. I got th- three quick points that we can go to bed. First one is that there's a little bit of hidden value here because you do get sleeves and or the cards on Arena and Magic Online, depending on whether the platform in question has the card available. If the card's available, you get the card, which probably doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter much. Um, and if it's not available, I think you get it as a sleeve. So you're getting a little bit of digital value um, out of this set. Second point is the boxes are not even designed to hold Magic cards or decks. So if you're thinking, oh, cool box, get over it because it's going to end up holding like your kids' toys or jewelry or something. It doesn't fit magic cards properly, which is a huge fail. Like hmm. magic boxes should hmm. always fit cards. Um, it's one of like, hmm. the fir- first questions I asked once I saw one of these uh, releases on Twitch and the Twitch streamer confirmed that it was not, not no bueno. Um, the third thing is, Though I'm not super interested in these, I'm very interested six months from now when they get their act together and these are pioneer focused. Then I'm very, very interested. Because if this was like yeah. if this was Smuggler's Copter and Wilderness Reclamation and Nexus of Fate, and those cards had been declared like unbannable, they'd been in the format for six months and nobody nobody thought they needed to be banned, <laughs> then these boxes get real nice. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to touch on here is that this is their first outing with Secret Lair. And I think for the most part, it's essentially a lot of misses. Yep. Um, But I love, well, okay, let me rephrase that. I see a lot of opportunity with this concept. First of all, I do like the distribution method. I think the distribution method is is good for wizards. Um and it's good for players. I think it's good for players mainly because it does give everyone a chance to get in if they want them, but it prevents it from being a huge oversell. And I'm willing to bet, as you know, you kind of outlined earlier, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, shoot, I wanted to buy that and I forgot, uh, which is still going to, which means you still get some good scarcity there. Uh, and continuing on from that. Yeah, this round of cards was pretty unimpressive. And I think the next round will probably also be relatively unimpressive, but I bet it's better. Uh, I, I expect it to be look better than this one did. And, and I think they'll probably get better as they keep doing these. <clears throat> Not only do they have a better sense of what formats matter, which is clearly a pretty key thing to know when you're designing this kind of product. <coughs> they nailed it on art. The art is uniformly excellent. Like, I don't care for the kitties, but as an art director, I can look at these sum total and go. They put an effort here. They attracted new artists. There are some very nice pieces here. The whole f- focus on creating panoramas is nice, even though it practically doesn't matter much in, in real play. Um, there are certain certain pieces I like le- more and less than others. I'm not a big fan of the Serum Visions implementation or execution, but they're heading in a good direction here. Um, and the model is going to be much sexier down the road. Um, yeah. I understand why vendors are concerned. And if this yeah. was a pile, of, if this was a pile of pioneer cards right now, that would actually have been a bit of a shitstorm. Because if you were already, can you imagine if it had been Smuggler's Copter at, at a time where 
you're trying to offload yours and and they just you you want to get 25 for your foils and they just sold a foil for 13 it's better and you're scared to buy it if you're not holding it already because they might ban it i mean there's a good reason for these not to be pioneer focused even if you didn't have the time constraint um or or at least not pioneer ultra staples yeah uh, th- there is definitely a concern here, um, I, and I appreciate Ben's comment and the general co- you know, consensus I've seen is like, wait a minute, so is Wizards planning on essentially selling singles? Or this is the closest they have come to that so far, where you can buy a product that's so few cards. Uh, and it is, I will admit, kind of scary for you and I and people like us, because this allows them to do very targeted sales of well i mean of specific cards and this by the way and this this run was 30 and 40 dollars but there's no reason they have to do that again they could come out and say oh hey guess what for 2020s uh secret layer we have a range you know one of our packs is going to cost ten dollars and one of them is going to cost a hundred dollars so they can put whatever the hell they want in there and they can scale the price up and be like well kind of all over the place well this is where you get back to my point about foil chandras there's no place to reprint it except if they decide for september's drop and i think these will be quarterly like that would be my guess it does take some time to pull this together um the chandra drop in september could be four excellent looking foil chandra for 99.99 and if you were trying to get out of your foils at 40 to 45 and you held too long and they're selling them for a tight 25 a piece and they're just as nice as any other version of Chandra that ever existed, then you're going to get busted. And that's why Ben re- re- responded specifically to Bitter Blossom, because I don't think Better, Bitter Blossom is some hot seller for SCG or whatever. But if they're holding 100 copies of it, those are basically stone cold frozen in time. Because street price on Bitter Blossom is closer to 40 than 30 right now. And this is a better Bitter Blossom than that copy for sure. So... I don't, as we said, there's not that much of a market for Bitter Blossom right now, but anybody that wants Bitter Blossom is going to buy four copies of this. Which forces Ben to buy some at $30, which is not the price he wants to sell it at. You know what I'm saying? Like he's forced to work with a smaller margin to make sure he's got them in stock, which is not going to make him happy. Yeah, this this puts them in such a weird spot, right? Because they have to pay the MSRP along with the rest of us, which means that they want to resell it. They're already either eating a small margin or they're doing a big markup, which kind of almost makes you wonder if they're going to look at this and consider it not really worth getting involved in because the margin might not be good enough. But if they don't get involved, I mean, between all the vendors, now you're looking at like probably couple thousand copies that might might not exist because the vendors consider the margins too narrow i don't know this is there's a lot going on here and it'll be i i'm wondering what their rate on these is going to be like how often they're going to do this too did they happen to say by the way how often they're doing secret layer nope but i would guess quarterly you think it's quarterly yep it's it's free money like let's say that they let's say that they print ten thousand of these at 30 bucks a piece then they they make three hundred thousand dollars per set times seven two point one million dollars, and some of them were forty, not thirty, so closer to two point five, and they can do that three times a year and add ten million to the bottom line. Ugh. For sure they will. Ugh. 
and put it that so, way it's so the, disgusting so the thing is i'm not worried about secret layer or mystery boosters or all the commander products announced however you there's no denying that the total of all those things is a dramatically increased risk of reprint where you can't just lean on the i'm gonna get three to four years before i have to worry about this thing like certain things like i think brazen borrower I think the first year window, first 18 months, first 24 months, is still pretty clean. Like, specking, specking on newer cards to get popular at, past their peak supply, still totally fine. Um, but it open, it casts, they're, they're opening a much wider floodgate on more obscure cards. So, Stuff that is only expensive because it is in low supply, like, for instance, Reaper King or whatever foils. Um, you know, the original pack foil there is going to stay expensive because there's no point of resupply. And if you really care about the original foil of Reaper King, you've only got, like, six copies to choose from on the internet anyway. But for something like a Bitter Blossom, the presence of these $30 Bitter Blossoms in the market may suppress Bitter Blossoms for a long time, or... This card may just sync with regular copies. We'll have to see how that plays out and, and case study it after the fact. But there are going to be, I would guess, something like... Well, we know from Mystery Booster there was 1,700 relevant reprints. The Commander products this year will probably add another 100 or so. Um, but... And then Secret Layer ends up being something like, what was it, F like roughly five, like three or four relevant cards. There's probably like 12 relevant cards here from a financial perspective total in all seven Secret Layer boxes. So even if that's 48 cards a year, eh, that doesn't really matter much. <coughs> doesn't mean we're not going to get caught out a few times. Yeah. I will get caught out every time. The The number of times they update Mystery Boosters probably matters more than any of the other things combined. But the fact that they're all Mythics changed that math anyway. That's the thing about having a gigantic set size, is that if they sold mystery the Mystery product as a give us $200 and we'll give you all 1,700 cards, that would be a real problem. Because... You'd be a stab, and they left it, and and they left it on the shelf at that price for a year. That would kill the price of all of those cards, mm -hmm. because you could they would just be no limit to the the distribution. But mystery boosters is like goes is travels from GP to GP, so it has a regional functionality to it, um, and they are essentially mythics, and you can't just buy them in Walmart, so there's some smart product design there and again i think that the big master set for commander next fall uh, is much more about new cards than it is reprints so i would expect mm -hmm. five to ten relevant reprints there the commander decks because of their price never seems to reprint anything of real importance they never reprint foils <coughs> so <coughs> while people should be aware of all of this the threat level wizards has has taken steps to mitigate the threat level the, the the grand total of cards that will be reprinted that are meaningful for you as a speculator investor is relatively minimal, especially when you consider that they may be reprinted in a way that doesn't crush your spec 
like the the mystery boosters might, but it still adds a humongous element of uncertainty and fear to the whole process that is not uh, appreciated. It's harder to navigate. You need to track more moving parts. Um, but to be honest, like the the single biggest crushing blow, and it wasn't really a crushing blow, but the the single biggest fail of an excellent year. I mean, I basically doubled my revenues this year and my profits are going to be 95% ROI or something. It's just ridiculously good. Um, was MH1 not getting chance to ripen and mature and not getting it. None of us ever getting a chance to sell MH1 cards this time next year when the set was no longer in print. Yeah, Wizards really uh, strangled that baby in the crib. So, like, none of these other products even compare to that, to the advent of Pioneer. Pioneer, like, I made a lot of money on Modern Horizons, but I made less than I would have because of Pioneer. That probably cost me two or $3,000. Now, in the grand scheme of things, the, the rest of my year doesn't care about that. But there's, I don't see a two thousand, two to $3,000 reprint risk present in secret layer or anything else like i see opportunities and and no and, and in many ways pioneer did the same thing right like i didn't have a chance to sell felidar guardians or sahili rise or smuggler copters or any of these other like nexus of fates or treasure cruises dig through times you know what was taken away was also giveth <laughs> so mm. it's not like i'm bitching about it yeah i mean yeah you you have to be holding i mean you look at this reprint list for secret layer right now and how many cards in here could you possibly have been holding on to that you got daggered on by this reprint like probably not bitter blossom not the lands not life from the low maybe blood gas well, I, mean, I think the, they got printed well, again, the, the, or something the, the, la- the lands are a dagger to the mh1 lands but that dagger's already been driven into the heart yeah yeah, yeah, like that's a rel- like essentially. I'm I'm looking through this list. I'm like, what cards could I could see myself holding on to, kind of trying to spec on that feel like they just got you know shorted. And it's like Ur Dragon is probably it. Like it's the only card that feels like it ate it. Maybe Sliver Overlord because I don't remember what the price on that is right now. But uh, so you it, you know, as long as you are remembering to diversify. It doesn't seem too bad. Sliver Overlord, possibly for some people, if on Sliver News from <laughs> Modern Horizons last April or whatever it was, they made a move on a bunch of Sliver cards. Yeah, they're still 30 bucks right now, so the new version is going to take a bite out of that. Yeah, oh yeah. That, that's, yeah. <laughs> Has the same Although, though, I mean, they're only going to sell those for a day. So we'll see. I, it'll be fun to see what the prices on these things look like in March. Is there anything Are any of these cards, final point, any of these cards jump out at you as you think this is going to definitely be worth more than you're paying for it? Mm, yeah. In a meaningful it would way? Be, yeah, it would be either the Serum Visions package or the five color cards. I'm just looking at these other ones and I can't fathom them really climbing and not in any meaningful capacity climbing above what they are what you're paying for them from wizards i can guarantee you i'm not buying the the serum visions yeah um, because modern's dead 
Uh, and I don't think people are, people will still play modern and buy modern cards for a couple of years, but they're not, I think they're going to be so much less likely to pimp out decks. And I think more to the point, people are going to keep playing with the deck they've already got and try to get max value out of it, as opposed to switching around, trying to win tournaments. I, I, I feel like even though I really like the Serum Visions, I, it's pretty much all predicated on it getting reprinted, which there's no promise whatsoever nope. that will happen. Nope. None whatsoever. I do think Serum Visions is probably safe to reprint, but like it doesn't mean it's going to show up. So like if you told me, you if you guaranteed me that Serum Visions would not show up in Pioneer for 10 years, at least then I would probably just say the five color cards. I think I think the five color set going to sixty or seventy within the year, especially if you were going deep. Like if you were buying ten or twenty units, and your plan was to offload them in Europe, where keep in mind Wizards is offering shipping overseas, but it will be terrible. And heading into the EU, you're going to pay full customs. So if you bounce through a friendly friend agreement instead. There's a lot of money to be saved. And that has made money for people on things like San Diego Comic-Con um, and other limited edition sets like Mythic Edition. all Both of which I've made money on this year shipping to Europe to people. So now the problem with the five color thing is Europe doesn't play Commander. <laughs> yeah. So wake, you know, from that, from that angle, wake me up when we're talking Pioneer cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- this is a good test run to see how the market absorbs it. Um, and I'm sure Wizards is thinking the same thing, uh, but it will give us some good information for how to approach the next one. Same way as we weren't sure how to approach the collector's boosters out of Throne of Eldraine. And that's giving us some good information and now we know what to do with Theros. Yep, I mean, yeah, totally. So Levitation, our Discord user in the MGT Price Pro Trader Discord, Hanging out while we were recording. He wins the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. this week. Um, Go forth and spend big so we keep getting those. Uh, Where can people find you online, Travis? As always, I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I I write every Monday over MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. Uh, How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I should also point out that for Black Friday, uh, we're probably going to do two things. By the time you hear this, if you're not a Pro Trader member already, you'll be hearing it on the weekend. So I'll probably leave this open until like Monday morning around noon or something on Cyber Monday. Um, we'll knock $10 off the annual if you hit me up on Twitter. That's at MTG Critic on Twitter. Um, or you can send me an email at james at mtgprice.com if you prefer or you don't use Twitter. Um, and we will probably just give away a like a month free or something. Um, folks that come into our ProTrader community rarely want to leave, so um, the month free usually hooks you. Uh, so we'll give away like five free months uh, to five, like a free month to five different people, and we'll have the discount on the annual membership for the weekend. Uh, hit us up if you're interested. Sounds exciting. 
once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Brings us to the episode, uh, end of episode 195? 196. 196. 196. It's a good one. Near closing in on 200 here. Um, yeah. It's a good time as always. And uh, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.